The big every week keeps feeling like the biggest fucking week. Am I am I crazy for feeling that way? Do you maybe maybe like with this one because I thought like Dynamite and NXT were both like pretty good. Yeah. And then you get and then you got like Sup and Uncharted all happening, and then you uh, have well Hell in a Cell. I guess wouldn't have been like this period. <laughs> I was like, but I like we both watched Hell in a Cell. Which is like the and, icing on the cake. It was like a really good yeah. week, and but then also Hell in a Cell being like this amazing fucking travesty. Spoiler alert, everyone! It was bad. Yeah, it's like, it, like a, a lot. A lot did happen. Now that I think about it. Plus, earlier today, as we record, we break uh, break the fourth wall. People can know when we record. I don't think that we try to keep it a secret, but I watched Sodom and Gomorrah, the Beyond show, which was I watched basically the first half and then the, the first match coming back from. Uh, from intermission because that was the match I was waiting to see felt really fucking weird the way the card was set up I wonder how the rest of the show went comparatively so there was that there was also NWA Power debuted which was like not a huge deal but another interesting note I'm meaning to to ask how did NWA trick people into watching this show I don't know I blame it on Sam the father and I'm not saying this in like a mean way or anything but like this is NWA using James Storm and Bram and all the and, and Nick Aldis and all these same guys. How did they wind up getting like really like important people to watch this show? Like, is, I'm very fascinated by this. You so you didn't watch it, right? No, I, I, I have okay, so no interest. We'll, yeah, I have zero interest in it. We'll get into this first, then. Actually, that's what we'll just do because it's like nothing. Basically, it's just I watched it, you didn't, and basically the novelty of it is that what the fuck why are people talking about this here's my biggest picture takeaway from the whole thing that i thought was fucking insane it felt like honestly i didn't even think about it until just now as i'm as we're talking it felt like tna from the time period that billy corgan was actually working behind the scenes in tna so basically the period in time where tna had the least amount of viewers for anything that wasn't matt hardy it's felt like you took that and you mix it with CWF Worldwide from YouTube days and like a little bit higher production value and then a little bit less of what made CWF kind of like a little bit more charming just because it wasn't so blatantly a knockoff of old like um, studio wrestling. Like when I say old, I mean actual retro. Like CWF felt like it was trying to be studio wrestling set in modern time. This feels like it's just literally trying to be old studio retro studio wrestling but like with the wrestlers from TNA in the time period where TNA was like literally the least popular that it has ever been um, it was fucking insane and the most insane part about it is that people were watching it and liking it and people were like, talking I, like, I don't yeah. like, like, and I, like 
I've seen people like talk about NWA power that wouldn't have, that weren't giving like CWF the time of day. Right. So like, that like so that's the thing that's been really confusing for me. And I'm people like, are loving it so, in a way that like it's like if CWF had been able to get out those same people like the PWO crowd, the ones that somehow weren't paying attention to CWF at the time are like now like oh my god wrestling is back and it's just it feels so bad because like if you'd been paying to, attention to CWF this whole time you would have realized that there was wrestling you would have liked this whole time and like, and like actual good wrestlers too yeah. like Trevor Lee was like one, legitimately one of the best wrestlers in the world and you had guys like Andrew oh, Everett <laughs> Andrew Andrew Everett Eric Royal and um all these guys that were like really fucking great wrestlers and yet we sit here and do NWA power and because they give you just straight up like WCW like world like worldwide feels or whatever like oh yeah like this is great instead of like you know actual good wrestling good wrestling I don't know like it's like it's like I'm glad that NWA is in there and like getting people to pay attention but it's also just funny looking at a lot of these same people who I know were like I can't watch CWF because of blank and blank. Right. Yeah, and it's it was nuts, man. Honestly, and I'm gonna say this: it was a good show. It was fine. It had people who are just just not they just don't come across like stars to me in any way in like 2019, basically. But they came across like people who would have been stars back in those days in Crockett, you know, in uswa in you know what i mean like in in houston like they a lot of these guys could have been stars back in those days and probably would have been but in this setting you know in 2018 they don't but it is weird because it's like does this siphon off people who would have enjoyed aew or not because some of these people are talking as if like this is the best wrestling and wrestling is back and finally and it's like the stuff that i see that's enjoyable and good i'm like well, you could have gotten this from CWF. You could have gotten it from MLW in a lot of ways. There's stuff that that's on here that I can see why people enjoy it. That I'm like MLW was doing similar kind of presentation of wrestling as a more legitimate sport situation, a little bit more old school deliver, you know, delivering of the product in general. But I'm just like, what are you, what are you looking for that this is what hits the right boxes for you? I don't quite get it. I wish uh, I wish some people would just admit that they like stuff that looks nice. Right, because then we, because then we would just view like avoid like a lot of this confusion and dialogue about like, wait, well, so what is this product missing, and what and what is this one doing? Like, if you're a big fan of like the fan, like the videos like Ricky Starks is doing and all that kind of stuff, and you're a fan of like the way like Dave like Dave Lagan like Dave Lagan and crew has like gotten these like gotten these cameras and lighting and all that, like okay, cool, but like just say that it's an, it's an aesthetic and like look feel for you that you want something to like look a certain way for you to take it seriously. Right, because I think that's I think that's a way easier thing to say than sit there and be like, "Yeah, man, NWA Power was a really good show." It was more like I liked the way it was shot, right. and so I was so I was able to not sit there and like already going with this negative connotation and whatever else in my mind because I I, I like how it looks. Yeah, no, definitely, and it's like CWF for anything you can say. Like there was some issues when Grant left, obviously with the production, but. When Grant was there, I mean, what he was able to do with the budget that he had was pretty impressive for the quality it of was, the presentation. It was a great for what for what they had to work with. It was a great looking show. Yeah, like you couldn't deny that. Like, I remember the shot of um, Trevor Lee versus um Roy Wilkins from uh from Battlecade, 
and they get this shot of Trevor, of Trevor Lee and, and his eyes and all that stuff and it's just like such a clear shot and it's like like that's great to me like I don't know why like people like sit there and like nitpick that issue because you could sit there like and stop that and I like just stopped the video and screenshotted it it wasn't like an actual picture or anything stopped the video screenshotted it and it was just like crystal clear looked perfect looked great for exactly what they had to work with and I'm like I don't I don't know what else you guys wanted here yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, big takeaways for me from the show, stuff like the James Storm Josephus angle that went, like, across a few segments and, and had some twists and turns was a lot of fun. But I don't really give a fuck about seeing either guy wrestle, honestly. And the character stuff that they did was done really well. So it's like, ah, uh, you know, it's just, it's that trade-off. And then another huge, you know, kind of mark in the same thing was was the stuff with the tag team champions, which I think they call them the wild cards. It's uh, Lanthier and... Uh, oh, God, I can't remember the other guy's name now. It's, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's Bram and then his tag team partner. Um, and they're the NWA tag team champions now. But the the stuff with them and Eddie Kingston and then Homicide comes out, that promo stuff was amazing. But it's like, it's Eddie Kingston. I mean, Eddie Kingston is without... I think without any question, I you know, kind of... I asked, and I guess I got reprimanded a little bit for asking, but I think that Eddie Kingston's probably in the conversation for being, like, a top 10 to top 5 wrestler of the year, honestly, this year. Um, so, it's just like, yeah, of course, with his promo skills, with the way that he presents himself, of course that's gonna be a lot of fun, but, like, it was really one-sided. <laughs> like, what was interesting and exciting about this was 100% Eddie Kingston. And the other guys are just nothing. You got Eli Drake coming out, and he's literally just completely aping Stone Cold Steve Austin in every way. Like, so much so, the, like, the way he's moving in the ring was, like, reminiscent. I was like, this guy just watched so much fucking Steve Austin. And people used to kind of give that to um, to Ken Anderson, you know? Yeah, But, sure. like, Ken Anderson at least still felt like his own guy. Like, Eli Drake in this felt like it was 100% just a guy trying to basically cosplay Stone Cold. Like, he was just trying to ape everything from his delivery, the way he was talking. He said, like, bottom line. Like, he didn't say bottom line, but he said bottom and then something else where it was like, and he said, you know, t like, he said something about the time. And it was just, it was like, he was hitting keywords that were like Austin keywords, you know, where it was just like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, you're going over the top here. So, that was it. And it's like, no Willie Mack, which I don't know. I think he's an impact now, but he was like a guy that NWA felt like it was really cool that they had him when he had the title. And then, you know, he drops, he already dropped the title to James Storm. Um, Nick Aldis, great champion. The match with him and Tim Storm was, was a lot of fun. And Tim Storm feels like, like a really interesting and unique and awesome character that they have, but he doesn't feel like a guy you can build a company around really. But like, maybe you can for the crowd that they're pulling in. They're like definitely like a boomer centric wrestling show, and I think that you know Tim Storm can be the the everyman hero for the boomers in a way that probably no one else can. But then you watch, and the company presents Nick Aldis as their guy, and it does make you kind of go like, well, the crowd that you're trying to attract is not the Nick Aldis crowd. The crowd that you're trying to, or not maybe it's not the crowd that they're trying to attract, but the crowd that you are attracting is not the Nick Aldis crowd. The crowd that you are attracting is the Tim Storm crowd. But I don't even know what the Nick Aldis crowd would be, though. <laughs> I People who like Brooks Brothers suits, I guess? I don't fucking know. But the thing about it is that, like, you know, like I said, can you really build around someone like Tim Storm long term? I don't know. But the crowd that you're attracting 
obviously relates to him big time. So we'll see where they go moving forward with that. Um, it was fun. I'll probably continue to try to watch it, but I probably won't even talk about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like on the podcast or in general. Um, because like there's nothing of, of note. There's nothing that's probably going to be worthwhile. And people, I think that if you like wrestling a lot, like I do, just like check it out. You'll enjoy it. But realistically, I mean, you know, you're not going to get much out of it. And if they can make it work, I mean, that's the thing. They're partners with Marquez, the guy who basically runs CWF, you know, Championship Wrestling from Hollywood, Championship Wrestling from Arizona. There's a name for the all the network. It's like Wrestling Network, whatever. Um, and he's involved with them. And he's made this work. He's made just doing like local, hyper-localized wrestling television in specific markets that gets on local TV stations and all of this stuff. He's made that work really well. And he's able to make money out of it because he's not a money mark guy. He's a businessman type guy. They're partnered up with him directly. But the thing is, is that there's a reason why none of that is relevant and no one talks about it because it's not designed or built to be relevant. And it feels odd in, in the market that we're in where you've got AWA showing up and basically trying to make a giant splash and actually compete with WWE. But you've also got this, another brand that's basically trying to do the complete opposite thing, which is like sneak in, grab the scraps that are still left on the table and just pick up the pieces and make a little bit of money where you can doing something that, that really is just marketed to a very specific niche. Like I said, they got a guy who knows how to do it with Marquez being involved in some way really well. He's a guy who's probably got all the, you know, know-how that they need to understand how to make something like that work to where it can be financially viable. But I don't know if it'll ever be important or feel like it's some like can't miss TV or if it'll ever really even make any stars because it's just it's so insulary and no one's going to really pay attention to it in a wider picture. But yeah, fuck it, man. Pat Paps need to watch wrestling too, I guess. <laughs> I was watching. I was watching a little bit of uh, the all the all Japan Royal Road stuff just because I want to see um, more Kent like more Kento and Jake Lee and all that and all that stuff. I was really optimistic about Jake Lee's 2019 and thinking that he was going to have a really big year. And he's been good, but I think a, largely a lot of people will say he's been a disappointment this year. But I got to say, I did, I did enjoy his Royal Road run. I liked the match that he had with Salama, and I liked the match that he hit um, the, like, eight or nine-minute match he had with Shuji Shikawa. And Kento, and Kento had a good run, too, when they eventually faced off in the finals. And this, one, this wasn't great. I think I liked the match that they had in the Champions Carnival Finals more, but this was a little bit more encouraging for Jake Lee. Jake Lee is someone that I think like would more so thrive embracing his aggression and nastiness and a lot more ruthless striking and all that stuff. I think he's really, I think he's really good at everything like that. And I think this match exemplified that more than the Kento Champions Carnival, Champions Carnival final match. That, that was it. No strong thoughts on it. I think now with that, Kento and Jake are one and one are one and one for the year. So they'll wind up fa- they'll wind up facing each other. I'm not sure exactly when that's gonna wind gonna wind up being. For all I know, they could have announced when the Kento versus Jake title match is. But just want to but, but just want to throw that out there. That I think Jake Lee had an, had an encouraging tournament. Yeah, and um, I'm with you in that. I think that Jake Lee has probably all the potential that he needs to kind of do something, become something, um, and just have... I, 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 th- I think we settled. both settled that... I think we both settled that Nomura is the guy. And then we, I think every, I think everyone has now settled on that. We had the Zeus run, and we've gotten uh, to see Jake Lee in these big tournament spots this year. 
I think now we can look at it. I, I think I think Nomura is the guy now. Yeah, I don't think that there's any question about that. I think sometimes a stumbling year can be a good thing for someone. Sometimes a year that they take a step back, or or not even take a step back, but just don't quite deliver at the level that you expect them to, can end up being a positive overall for the arc of their entire career. Sometimes it can't. You know, I thought I thought Jake was going to be like a easy top fifty wrestler of the year this year, right? And not be, not because I thought he was going to wind up winning like the um, triple crown or anything. But just because what we saw from him in the in the Royal Road last year, that match with Junakiyama, which was fucking incredible, the other the other match with Kento, which was really good, it was just super encouraging. And I thought we were kind of like coming into twenty nineteen, like oh man, Jake Lee's really about to kill it this year, and he's one of those guys along with a few other people that just really disappointed me as the year went on. So seeing him sort of get it back, I'm apprehensive about saying like oh man, 2020, 2020 is the year with Jake Lee, but. It just lets me know that it's still there with him. And it's kind of nice because you get that buffer. Because there is, you know, you got your heart broken this year. Not heartbroken, but you know what I mean. You got a little bit of egg on your face this year when you kind of expected him to deliver big time. So that now, the next few years, you'll be a little bit more trepidatious to invest so hard. You know what I mean? And that's sometimes a good thing with a wrestler because you don't want to get so... You, you know, you won't get let down as much when they don't deliver in the, in the way that you're hoping. So that, like, I, got, I, had, I had so much egg on my face this year. Um, <laughs> Momo, Momo, Momo Watanabe, like, yeah. really a, a disappointing year. Jake Lee, Kyle Fletcher was like, oh, fuck, okay. man. Like, Ky- like, so Kyle is a thing, and I'm, you know, give a shout out to, to, uh, to Simon for saying this in the Slack, but Kyle feels like that's a fucking political hit job. Like, it feels like this is... He's meant to fail this year because he. I don't. Like, I I don't know what happened, man. <laughs> yeah, this year was bad for Kyle, and that fucking sucks. Because you know, I think me and you both have been big fans of his for a while. And since just, day, since since the first since the first time me me and you saw him and Mark Davis, we we're like, oh shit, like yeah. those guys are really good. Yeah, there's something here. These guys, and then they you know they go on the tag team run, they become the tag. I was a little, and we, and we and we and we predicted all of that though. Like yeah. we said, like okay, Aussie Open's here, and they're probably going to wind up being a really big thing. And next thing we know, like yeah. they're the biggest tag team in Europe. Yeah, and they probably for a good period of time, you know, last year and this year are probably the the biggest unsigned tag team. I mean, right now this year, I would say unsigned, like independent, act, truly independent tag team. They're the biggest tag team that there is, right? I don't think there's another tag team that comes close. That's like truly independent, not signed to a to a contract anywhere. So, you know, they 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 definitely came together. But Kyle, on his own, has had almost nothing this year, and that's kind of similar to what I said last year, though. Except for Kyle, actually had the singles matches that stood out. It was just that, like, as a tag team, they continued to deliver. You know, Mark gets injured at Bola weekend, fucking around in the ring before the show or whatever, and that really derails that case. So now you look at the end of the year and it's like, what is your case for Kyle Fletcher? It's, it's, you know, three quarters of a year in a, in a tag team that was just as good as it was last year. If like kind of forgettable and then really nothing else. So and not only that, like, you know, like they, like fight club pro was going ahead and pushing uh, Mark Davis as the champion. So right. Kyle Fletcher is pretty much doing fuck all. So it's yeah. like, but that's not to it say was, that he it, didn't have good matches. You know, like I said, yeah. during super strong style 16, I think my match of the weekend ends up being, Devlin versus Kyle other than the final maybe you know like that was yeah so like he had some good some good matches too but nothing that stands out huge other than that for me really 
Yeah, so like that's like now like I don't know if you have any like, any guys that were like that for you this year where you just like oh man I'm all in on this they're gonna go out there and kill it this year another one fucking speedball like yeah. speedball just speedball just disappears for twenty for twenty nineteen it's like well what the fuck man <laughs> like, no 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 I me, mean, like, I'm, me, I'm still betting a thousand for my predictions I always everything every time I say someone's good they just continue to stay good no I mean. Jeff Cobb, what the fuck happened there? Like it felt like God, was, yeah, it felt like ROH was finally going to be the place where he was able to put everything all together, and then he just disappears, and then he's on the pre-show, and I finally watched the match with Brody King, and it was like fine, like you know, I was expecting something great there, but just nothing happened. PWG this year, he didn't really have, he hasn't had much in the way, like his bola. I was hoping his bola run would be comparable to the last couple of years, but it was just not there. So yeah, I mean, you know, I've got. I've got that. Jeff Cobb, I was hoping this would be his year to break out a little bit more. Darby, I mean, to be honest, Darby Allen, I was like hoping that this year he could end up being my wrestler of the year. You know, I was hoping he'd end up in that conversation, but not to say that he's been bad. He's had great matches, but the 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 AEW stuff has just limited the amount of matches that he's had. So it's just less kind of meat on the bone for the argument for him. That's not to say that he's yeah. been bad, but he's had a lot of great matches, but he hasn't had a lot of them. So that's tough to you know, make that argument. Uh, fucking Swerve. You know, it's the same as Riddle, like, last year. Like, Swerve felt like a guy who I could start with the way that things were going in, in um, MLW and the way that things were going in Evolve. It was like, this guy is going to fucking do it. And then he, you know, takes a WWE nap. He takes the, you know, the uh, NXT vacation. And Oh, Kazusada Higuchi. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh. Yeah, I know. I know. He, like, and obviously, he got, he got injured. So, like, that's, that's a little different. But, like... Oh that man, happens. Higuchi's gonna go. Higuchi's yeah. gonna go in there. He's gonna kill it. It's like, oh shit. Cody right. Umeda decides he's gonna retire from wrestling. It's like, uh, okay, lost another, lost another one. Kaito Kiyomiya. I thought I was all in on the on the Kaito Kiyomiya bandwagon. He disappoints this year. I, I was like, oh man, I just did terrible. Yeah. So luckily, I mean, I won't say luckily, but you know, for me, I'm in a okay spot and then a lot of my disappointments were were not necessarily bad like people who underperformed but people who just didn't perform or you know had bad booking in some ways so you know it is like okay kyle i mean we talked about kyle's an egg on my face guy for sure we talked about it for you but it's for me too and uh, you know and that's that's the same thing it's a little bit of the, the bad booking it felt like fight club was gonna build around him as the guy and then davis becomes the guy which is like I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I get it in some ways, but so that was kind of it for me. I mean, not an egg I, on I, my I, face. I, oh, go I think I think Dan started. I think Dan worked out worked out for both of us for sure. Like, yeah, Dan Dan was your wrestler of the year last year. I had him. I had him at number six, and I think both of us still feel that Dan's probably a top ten wrestler of the year this year. Yeah, Maybe he had not. a slow start this year, and I was I was kind of concerned. I was like, ah, fuck, you know what happened? He he really did have a slow start, but by August. By the time he wins, you know, SCI, it felt like he had started to put together a pretty awesome re- resume. And then, you know, to transition into something I was going to ask you about is that then after that, in September, October, he goes to Germany. England and Germany more. Have you watched any of the WXW stuff from the Tag League weekend at all? Uh, no, nah, man. Like, man. Like, as soon as we get off, I'm probably going to go ahead and, and, like, go well, go watch that stuff because... Yeah. I haven't watched. I honestly haven't watched any ambition. Yeah. This year, like I, I didn't watch the one from Carrot. I didn't watch the watch. The, I didn't watch the one from the Canada show. Haven't haven't seen the one from the World Tag Team Festival. So I have a lot of stuff that I want to watch. But 
I want to watch these matches for Dan Thatcher, Gresham, and all that stuff. So I'm probably I'll probably be tuning in. Yeah, there. I mean, the ambition, the the Canada ambition was not amazing, other than the Thatcher and, and Makabe matches, really. Um, so I I would recommend you know checking them out. Honestly, from that weekend, from the Canada WXW weekend, the match that's worth checking out is you know Shima versus Makabe from uh from Smash OWE Smash show. You know like. That's kind of the, the one that stands out for me from the weekend. Um, Robinson, Paul Paul Rowe versus, uh, versus Walter was interesting. I'll just say that. Um, so, yeah, but but Dan had a slow start for the year. But then by September, October, by right now, he's he's hitting. And that was another thing I was going to talk about, Sodom and Gomorrah. I watched it earlier today, uh, most of it live. I actually, now that I look back on, on the card, because I pulled it up on Cage Match just to see, I watched most of the show. Um, I thought I stopped watching at a certain point but i really think i just like left during intermission and then came back um the sequencing of the show was really fucking weird it felt like they opened and they got a lot of the big matches the big star power matches at least as far as i would have been concerned they got a lot of those matches out of the way in before the intermission so i didn't know what the fuck was going on part of that is also i was i was waiting for the backyard summit match you know because that was what i was really wanting to watch Um, right so, because that match just kept not coming, I was like, "Why is this match on before the, the you know the summit match? Why is this match on before the backyard summit match?" I kept feeling very odd. So, but it was, you know, it's beyond. It's really good for a big show for them. I mean, they're really they're delivering, and they have created their own stars. They continue to really just be able to show that Beyond can like repeatedly just doesn't matter how much the 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 kind of the locker room empties out the talent pool of indie wrestling disappears beyond is the number one company that is always fine you know and when they bring in new acts or they start mixing up people putting them in different places in the card they present people in different ways whatever they do it always just seems to work and it's really impressive the way that beyond is able to pull that off like the alex rental heel turn and teaming with the vsk kind of thing has been like it's working really well it's like you know it's not amazing it's not top level stuff but it fits the role that it's supposed to be it's satisfying and it works and it's like i wouldn't expect them to be able to pull that off they've got thomas santel feels like a big time star chris dickinson love him or hate him i think me and you are both have been moderately high on him but that you know it's been it's been i think they've they've done such a good job with dickinson to the point where like a guy that's been the exact same way his entire career, people are like, oh my god, I want to see Chris Dickinson yeah. do this and that. Yeah. And he's and he's been this exact same guy for years. Right. A guy that people disliked, and now, like, wow, man, Chris, Chris Dickinson is one of the best wrestlers of the year. And it's like, I'm not going to disagree with you, but it's like, wow, like, like he's this is the same guy that's been here this whole time. Right. The, the Backyard Summit, obviously the match that I was waiting for, the match that I'm obviously co-opted for, um, just because I'm such good friends with Steve West, everyone knows it, um, was, like, fantastic and fun and, and really good for what it was. It was sloppy and awkward at times, but it's like, fuck, it's like, you know, six guys who have known each other since they were kids, but how many times have they really wrestled each other? <laughs> I mean, Eric Corbis is coming out of retirement here. Like, you know, so there's going to be some hiccups and some stuff that's not super smooth, but it really hit all the, you know, checked off all the boxes. The really impressive thing was Team Tremendous versus The Butcher and the Blade. Um, because they, the, the Team Tremendous really felt like they just completely flipped a switch and were like serious. And serious 
as a fucking heart attack going up against the butcher and the blade who have been presented that way as badass you know kind of goth centric version of the legion of doom or something you know what i mean they're like um uh you know was is it nine millimeter they're like a nine millimeter mixed with um the viking raiders or something you know that's kind of their vibe uh, a little bit snm a little bit a uh, little bit violent but also like a badass cosplay kind of tag team so and then team tremendous was right there with them just kicking ass so you know i mean they really everyone kind of showed up everyone showed out and it just goes to show like i was i kind of thought like oh once beyond is doing weekly tv that's going to kind of be it and they're not going to have like big shows anymore as much because they're running a show every week but they're able to still kind of deliver on these big shows that are like you know quarterly or, or bi-monthly or whatever they are um enough to where like they still have shows that like they don't feel like pay-per-view super card kind of thing that you are used to from like wwe wcw aew kind of vibe but they do feel like a bigger show than just the tv show but they still have like filler and, and smaller undercard stuff that's not that important which is it's fine because if you've been watching beyond for a while like me and you both have like there was always the crusade for change you know there was always like <laughs> horse shit that no one cared about and like honestly we would all kind of like be like fuck these shows would be so good if you cut all this bullshit you know and that's like they've at least they've gotten to the point where like it's it's acceptable like it's not to the point where like because there was times early and beyond where there was like undercard stuff that was excruciatingly long you oh, I mean? it, it was like it was like stuff that was like straight up bad. Yeah, we're just like, can we just get this fucking over with? I'm I'm done, you know. So yeah, that was that's kind of it with Beyond. Um, my my only Beyond take is that I really wish that Drew was still doing commentary. Like, yeah, I like I, I I've been I've been trying to give uh, Crockett and uh, Sydney a chance to get it together, but I just can't do it with them, man. I don't think they're a good team at all. I don't think either of them are very good commentators. And Drew, you know, historically, if you look at it, people that book their own product, I think they usually do a better job conveying the storylines and themes that they're trying to get over. And Drew was really good at that stuff for the most part. Yeah. And yeah, I, I just I just miss Drew when I think that the product would be better if we just had Drew on commentary again. Yeah, I mean, David Starr would definitely be better if, if Drew was on commentary. No, um, yeah, <laughs> I completely agree with you. And the thing about the thing about it is that like you know there was wrestlemania weekend i think last year where drew was kind of the talk of the town for being a shitty commentator but like he was bad for sure over wrestlemania weekend but he was bad when he was calling other shows but when he does his own shows he's always been a good commentator honestly so yeah because drew drew knows how to get his own stories over like and he cares like like you might not want to book him to call fucking nova pro or whatever but like to call like yeah beyond shows where he's the one writing writing and booking everything like yeah he should he should be the one doing it yeah definitely um do you want to are you okay with getting into the uh the core woe notes of the week give the shout out to, oh yeah to, to sure core we can do that again um kylie ray working a impact adjacent wrestling show i don't know what you thought about that um I, I didn't see what that was. Was is it like the Warrior Wrestling place? It's Zello Pro and Warrior Wrestling. Oh, it's being presented through Impact. You know how Impact was doing those kind of uh, Twitch streams with with the uh, partners, kind of co-production type shows and stuff. It's uh, one of those, I think. 
I, I'll say what I said a couple of weeks ago. The Kylie Ray thing is gonna go, is gonna wind up getting getting uh getting opened up very soon. So I'm glad I'm glad to see her. I'm curious I'm curious to see like how often this is gonna be because she was a sort of um Zelo Pro regular. She was the champ there at one point and everything. Yeah. So right now it's just her doing stuff for promotions that she were, was already doing regularly. Stuff that was in her backyard. I don't know how reg- how regularly this means she's gonna be back, but yeah, seeing her do more and more stuff. I don't. I don't know, man. Like I watch AEW, and I just see them putting Britt Baker and B Priestley in these prominent positions, and I'm like, God damn it, man! If Kylie Ray was just still there, I know, I know, and that's you know that's kind of the conversation. We'll see how it continues to go. I guess the only part of that that's like interesting is just that Kylie Ray, it's related to um, Impact, which I don't think. Yeah. I I honestly don't think that that matters at all. No, yeah. I don't. I, I think. I think. I think it was more the, Z, the more the Zelo Pro connection. Yeah, it's it's the connection that's just linked to her past. It's not you know that. Um, we had uh, Glory Pro getting purchased by Master P. Weird. Oh, those no, those no, those, those Hog. Oh yeah, Hog. Sorry, I said Glory Pro, didn't I? Uh, yeah. yeah, House of Glory. No, no, it's a, yeah, House of Glory, Glory Pro. Like, yeah, it's easy. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. I don't know if it matters in, at all, but it's interesting. Um, it's very random. Yeah, but Master P has a history in wrestling, right? He was in WCW, so maybe he actually just likes wrestling. We'll see. I wonder if he has any, any actual plans for the for the company, though. Like, I don't know. Like he, like I'm, like he. I think it's funny that he buys that he winds up buying a company while you know the quote unquote Wednesday Night Wars are going on. And AEW keeps doing keeps doing pretty good numbers, while, um, like you know, I guess like wrestling is the hottest or most talked about it's ever been. That Master P is looking at this and now getting in on the wrestling thing. I don't, I don't like, I don't know if that's exactly why it's happening, but that's what it looks like. Right, and I probably should have saved it because this will be a good transition into AEW talk. So I'll just save it for a bit, but remind me to, to transition to that. And the next thing is. Uh... Mr. 450 and his knockoff collective for WrestleMania weekend looks like a lot of fun. Um, how do you think you're getting away with that? It's like, how do you blatant. how do you do that thinking? Yeah, how do you do that thinking? Thinking like you get away with it, and that people are gonna like seek out working that show, and not only that, the people are going to attend this show. I mean, they might. Though. Uh, That's the thing. I don't. I think people. I think people like Dick and like Dickinson and like Janella and all that already already got ahead of that. And I doubt that anyone is like really going to be trying to go to the Mister Four Fifty branded GC, GCW stuff. It's so blatant too. Like with the post with the poster design logo, yeah. everything. Like it's the actual like, oh, like the, actual craziest. <laughs> like what the fuck? Yeah, it's like all right. Uh, <laughs> Damn, dude. And it's Mr. 450 who has a history of being scummy and being related to or defending other scummy wrestlers. So that's always fun. Um, So yeah, transition to AEW talk from Mr. P. I'll just get into that. Or Mr. P. What the fuck? Master P. <laughs> Mr. P. Mr. P. You know Mr. P. Everyone knows from high school or from Degrassi, the next generation. Uh, um, no, uh, Master P and Hog and AEW. I mean, 
we've got Private Party winning, beating the Young Bucks in, in the first uh, one. <laughs> I, I was thinking of how... I was thinking of like how are we going to tie everything together, and I didn't piece together that you were going to go private party. Yeah, I mean private party are hog, kind of a known hog entity, and they're getting a big win on AEW. Master P is, you know, so maybe there's, maybe it's not as crazy as it seems that there could be some kind of relationship between the companies, you know, and the and the connections and Master P and all. Like who knows? I don't know. I, I they could. At maybe be looking to just push private party maybe get the background or get the back you know footage from from house of glory so they can show off some of the, the history of, of private party i don't know if it'll ever get to that point but it is kind of interesting to think about um kind of Man, connection the stories everything that's going on dynamite fucking ruled like yeah <laughs> like look man I'll, I'll go ahead and say dynamite ruled i don't i don't, I don't know if i'm alone in if i'm alone oh. in that but like the uh, women's tag women's tag could have could have been better, but again we, we talked about it. Like I don't like, I don't think either of us think Britt Baker Britt Baker is very good or anything like that. And B Priestley like can be super on and off. Other than that, this was a really fucking good show. Well, no, I mean, and and again, it's not just in ring, which is interesting to compare it to NXT because I heard someone say, and I don't remember who, but like to say that like NXT this week was the most like not shook kind of presentation. It felt like they stuck with what they were trying to do last week, and they did not care that they lost so bad in the ratings. They didn't really change anything. And it's like, sure, I guess you can give them credit for that, definitely. But so did AEW. Like, AEW stuck with their guns and continued to deliver clearly a superior product. And not just superior to NXT, but honestly superior to really anything WWE is presenting. It was just... And I, I want to give AEW credit right off the bat for they used the first week to establish like an identity for the promotion, an identity for the brand. And I thought that was very smart. They like stayed out the way of like trying to like wow you with the in ring or whatever. And there was still good matches on there, but I was more just like we need like stuff to deliver on the card and not like we're gonna just go out here, go out here, bang, 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 fireworks and like match of the year, match of the year contenders. That's not what any of that first week was about. And even then, you can say that's not, that's not what the second week was about either. But, like, you establish yourselves, you establish your stars, you do a big angle, you you bring, you bring introduce all these characters and make everything easy to follow with the outline, with the, with the guideline. And then you start off the they start off the episode with Private Party, this young new act, beating the faces of the company. Like, they couldn't have done any better with, that, with, the, with the first two weeks, in my opinion. And, I mean, there is conversation, and I can't blame people for having the conversation about, you know, the race situation and all this. And, and I'm sympathetic to what people are saying, where they're saying, like, sure, AEW has people of color, but nobody in the top of the card. And it's like, it's weird to even argue that because it's the top of the card is so limited at this point to even try to say what they're... The top, the, the top of the card is like what? Jericho. Four people? Yeah. They have... four, maybe four or five people. Jericho, Cody, Omega, Moxley, and Pac. Like, that's the top of the card. We're talking about five people. And if you give them... I mean, even if you want to talk about this and when you're talking about main eventing and whatever, like, the first show that wasn't AEW yet or whatever, the all-out show, the main event, I mean, it was a trios match that included one team that was all people of color. You know, so it's just... It is kind of weird to make this it's a, argument. It's a, it's, a weird, it's a weird bone to pick, especially when you're defending a company that has also been around for like 
decades and decades and decades and saying, well, they've done black champions and all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, I'd be surprised if the company that has been around for like, like several decades didn't have a person of color as a champion at some as 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 a champion at some point in the company. Yeah, it would be, more than I'd be surprised by the company that just started. Right, and it, it's it would be a very blatant thing that you would need to mention, which people did mention like, a lot. That was like the whole argument about is the Rock black the, kind of thing, you know? That doesn't make the. I just I just it's one of the it's that grasping at straws stuff because you already are inclined and not like AEW, and I'm not even saying that that, that eventually they're gonna have like so many people of color be like prominent and champions on on the in the promotion i'm just saying like why are you picking that battle with a company that just started and like and they're off to a better re- start i mean and, and, and if you really wanted to go and if you like really want to play that card like several people of color have been involved in big spots in aew yeah. already and it's again it's they're off to a better start than wwe was if we're just going to be fair like I don't know if everyone, uh, what how people feel. <laughs> That's one thing that I also think is kind of interesting to, to talk about as I as I bring it up is WWE stuff. It's like, um, if you don't consider Italians to be people of color, I guess Bruno doesn't count as a as a you know a person of color champion. Um, but you know WWE historically kind of <laughs> exploited people of color. Sure, like what, what what the fuck? Like how is that even an argument? But no, but you, but you know what it is. It's the same people that like. Like oh man, Kofi like Kofi. Like, I don't know why people are so upset. You know, Kofi's been the champion and yeah. all that stuff, and we've come so far. And I'm like, well, that doesn't change DX being in blackface and <laughs> Greg Valentine calling Junkyard Dog a black spot, right. and Roddy Piper painting half of his face black, and all that and all stuff like that. So because Kofi was champion and had this big moment, and they got that one thing right, like all the other parts of WWE history don't exist right. kurt angle saying that he has the, he wants to have like hot like beast sex with yes Charmel. no he said bestiality <laughs> which bestiality which i will call this out as as because like unfortunately i you know have really terrible connections and all this stuff but it's like hearing that and a lot of people played it off like oh it's it's stupid and bad but it's like that's not not a historically racial thing to say there's literally i was a kid i I was a kid. I was a kid when that when I when yeah. I first saw that. That was like 2006. So I'm maybe like nine years old. And even then, at nine years old, I'm like, that's not a thing people say. Right. And that made me really uncomfortable because like I knew like racial terms that like people would use to describe things. Like obviously, I'm nine years old. I don't know everything. I don't don't I don't know a lot. But I'm saying like I I don't I've never heard that one before. And I was like genuinely uncomfortable at like nine years old watching that segment. <laughs> well no, this is the thing. People tried to play it off like Kurt Angle just said something and it was mixed up and, and Vince didn't know what it meant. He just liked the no. word. Like people tried to people legitimately tried to present it that way. That like Vince just liked that him saying that and it didn't really think about what that word actually meant and like he thought that it meant like bestial. But he said bestiality. And here's the thing that like I said, like Maybe I'll just fucking, like, say my background a little bit so people know, like, more. But, like, when I was, you know, young, when I was in, basically, high school up until, like, my 20s, I was involved in a lot of what they call ARA, anti-racial action groups. It was, like, part of the punk rock scene. Um, And it was basically what became Antifa. So early on in America, we had ARA, anti-racial action, that grew into what they call Antifa now, which is, like, you know, anti-fascism. Uh, movement in America people talk about it with like the black block the guys who go online and like search for 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 fascists and reddit posts and they wear bandanas and all this 
So I paid attention to a lot of like the hardcore kind of white power, white supremacist media so that I would know basically the same thing that Antifa does now. I was doing it early on. And Johnny Rebel, which amazing to find out a uh, racist singer, had a song where he said sex outside your race is like bestiality. You know, so when Kurt Angle says he wants to have bestiality sex with Charmel, that's a racial signifier. And so like to act like, oh, it's whatever. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. It's fucking insane to try to pretend like it's not a racial issue to have him say something like that on television. But but like to sit there and like cape for WWE so hard because they've also had like people of color be champion or get pushed. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's cool. But like, what about everything else that has happened here? Like literal blackface right. has happened. <laughs> and it's not, like not even like not even that long ago, <laughs> like legitimately 20 years ago. This wasn't this wasn't even that long ago that this happened. Right. It was at a point where everyone already knew that they shouldn't be doing that. You know, it wasn't like, but that's, I mean, that's happening in general a lot that people are like um, admitting that they've been in blackface at a point when you should have definitely known better. Um, But yeah, so to open up the show with not just a team that's black, but a team that deserves to get the win over a team. A team, that a, is, a team that's over as fuck. Like we yes. can like in the first few shows of AEW's official existence, Private Party, without a doubt, has been one of the has been one of the uh, um, the acts to break out, yeah. and they really deserved it. They really deserved the spot. They deserved the spot, and they felt like they earned the spot. It didn't feel like tokenism in any way. You know what I mean? It was mm. it was done in a way that was impressive. It felt like a big deal, and it felt like a star making performance, honestly. And you know so. And I talked about the first AEW show. If you don't count All In as an AEW show, I guess. I don't understand why you wouldn't. But I think that there's some people who technically do because it was like, you know, AEW didn't actually exist yet. But it's the first fucking show of the company. The Young Bucks were in the main event. So, you know, they've been in multiple main events already for the company. So they're a top act. And I think that it's really easy to look at it when I talk about, like, kind of ghettoizing the people of color and to say that they're not on the top of the card. Like, that's pretty easy when you look at it from the presentation of what, you know, WWE has presented for years, which is that tag team wrestling is not important, it's not the main event, and it doesn't matter. But AEW is not presenting it that same way. The Young Bucks are a top-level act, and they're presented as such, and a win over them is a big fucking deal. So, to try to act like because Private Party is a tag team and they're not wrestling for the heavyweight championship, then that's not the same as having, you know actual people of color in the main event is like really unfair and it's really kind of a bad faith argument against like what's clearly being presented as a top level act and i i'm impressed because i really didn't expect private party to i thought it would take a little while for them to be presented this strongly i thought they would win like i was surprised when i saw so many people saying that oh they thought the young bucks were gonna win i'm like i feel like private party's like clearly gonna get the win here oh yeah well when the match was enough i guess what i meant was when i when they said that private party got signed i thought it would take more more time for them to be presented as a top level act when they got announced in this match in the tournament i assumed they would win but it feels like they're rushing to make them stars i thought it was going to take a little while to build them up but it feels like yeah well here's my my idea of it is that i think they're gonna go like all in on like putting like the new acts front and center and like let like the crowd choose who their who their guys are and so we're gonna see the we're gonna see best friends 
We're gonna we're gonna see Jurassic Express. We're gonna see Private Party. We're gonna see Dark Order. We're gonna see all these relatively unknown teams get in there, and I think those are gonna be the te- teams that are like fighting it out to be um to be the champs here. Because I think that's what that's the goal here. I think the goal here, or aim here, is to make a splash and not just go for the status quo, which is why obviously the Bucks didn't win this first round match. Which is really smart, and I I continue to think that they're making a lot of the right decisions when it comes to booking and. Assuming that the next round for them is Private Party versus Jurassic Express, that's a super exciting match, honestly, for AEW. And that's really smart to put that in your tag team tournament as your kind of, you know, semifinal matchup. Because those teams feel like the biggest tag team stars that are authentically being built in AEW as a company. You know, and that's, it's going to be awesome to see them clash and eventually be the team that represents the new guard AEW stars in the finals, you know, and I, I don't know who's going to win out of those two teams. Me personally, I'd probably go with private party just because I think that win or lose in the finals, you can tell a better story with them. But at the same time, like I said, AEW has done such a good job with Jurassic express is really fucking over. Like that's like, that's the thing. Like if private, if private party lost in the next round of Jurassic express, I wouldn't be upset. And And I don't think anyone be, yeah, I don't think anyone being upset would be like rational in it. Cause like, listen to the reactions that Luchasaur- Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy get. Like, that's a genuine big time act for them. And as I said like that could that could be something that is a defining moment for AEW. And I think this match here was. I think Private Party versus Young Bucks is this would be the best Young Bucks match we've gotten all year for sure. Yeah, and I think it's- which is which is which is not saying a lot. The Young Bucks have been sort of inactive this year. And even the stuff they have done, we haven't particularly liked. We didn't really care for the um, Rose Brothers tag or the Lucha Bros tags from this year. But seeing them go in there and it felt like like vintage, like vintage Young Bucks, like attitude, charisma, and all that stuff, and playing up playing up the heel side of them a little bit and really shining these guys up, it was re- really refreshing to like to feel good watching a Young Bucks match again. Yeah, well, it was like last week there was a, it was a tease of that. Where, uh, like I said, it felt like old Young Bucks showing up for the second half of the match when it was a like a handicap match. But this match was like, yeah, like you said, we actually got the full thing. It was like we teased it in a handicap trios match that was really kind of an angle setter. But then here we really got it because they, they and not just the stereotypical go, go, go spot early kind of PWG Young Bucks, same old shit kind of thing, which, you know, I always I always love and remember the crowd just chanting same old shit as the Young Bucks do the insane spots of PWG. It wasn't just that. It was that with the new, you know, or moderately new Young Bucks layered storyline telling, back, you know, back selling, limb working, you know, son of a guns, the Young Bucks kind of doing their thing. So this was, yeah, like you set the table last week, you... Let us know, like, the Young Bucks are here to play. They're here to fucking do it. And then this week, you really deliver. And not just they really deliver, but they also give you something interesting in a star-making performance for a younger team that they lose to. So, yeah, great way to open and a really promising sign for things to come, you know, when it comes to the company overall. And then, yeah, so from there, I mean, the segment with the Inner Circle... I don't know. Like I felt like you were pretty soft on Jericho last year, comparatively to me. I was pretty, I was pretty into Jericho last year, but like, am I wrong to say that he's not the best guy to have the championship and probably the best like main main event promo in wrestling right now? 
Repeat what you said again. Repeat what you said again. I said last year I felt like you were a little bit soft on Jericho compared to me, but like this uh-huh. year is he not delivering basically on promos as a main event level star? At least no, I I think I think he I think he was last year too. But I would just say I've always said like I can be objective with Jericho and see and say like dude is getting over as hell again, reinventing himself. But I also say like I don't particularly like it. I'll say here. I think maybe like like the AEW style of like popping in for big shows or whatever wasn't the wasn't the best thing for Jericho. Same thing in New Japan where like that's maybe not the best thing for Jericho's character. Week to week, shithead stable leader in vein of like early TNA Jeff Jarrett. Like I'm I'm into it. I'm into it. Like I, I'll I'll say that. Do I want to see his matches? Absolutely not. But watching that promo segment. Introducing the inner circle, Jericho does a great job trying to sell all these guys, and he takes a, he takes a few shots at WWE and all that, and you can call that cringy. You may not like it, but the way he sells you on Sammy Guevara and Sammy Guevara being like the prodigy, diamond in the rough guy, LAX be, LAX being the guy being the tough guys in the group, and having Jake Hager there as as the as the big muscle and everything. Like he th- he did such a great job selling it. And like I said, I can separate his wrestling. I can separate maybe his annoying personality or whatever and say, like, right there at that moment, you understood why Jericho was the champ. Because I'm not sure anyone else could have sold those guys the way Jericho did. Right. Yeah, and he he does a really good job of, of lending that credibility. You know, he's, he's Chris Jericho. He's a big-time star, but he's very selfless. You talk about he's so focused on reinventing himself and so... It feels like he should be so singularly focused on making himself a star because he does such a good job of it, but he's not. Like, he is always thinking about everyone, and he's always trying to make everything better. He's he's honestly the best guy that AEW could have gotten from, like, a, you know, legacy star to bring into the company. And I could see people arguing, like, you know, oh, they should have got John Cena or something. You know, like, one of these guys who's, like, a big name... Randy Orton, you know, teasing, wanting to work with AEW and all this. But Jericho is the most, like, he is going to actually think about and help get everyone on the card over. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if you told me that Jericho was giving notes about, like, random people on the card's matches. Being like, I think that they should do this. I think that they should do that. Like, for people who he's not even involved with their angles. Like, he's the kind of guy who's giving input on everything that's happening on the shows. And that's why he's the kind of guy that you want, you know, in the company, because he's the kind of guy who's going to actually like try to help make something out of the company, you know. So and not only that, like Sammy Guevara and Chris Jericho, I like I said, like everything looked weird on paper, and then you look at it, it's like I'm not sure there's a better pairing of guys to be together and to someone to be Guevara's mentor than Jericho. I mean, if there's anybody on the planet Earth that. Because this was something I'm going to mention. I mean, Chris Jericho, he cares about wrestling. He cares about people in wrestling. He cares about the history of wrestling. He cares about all that so much that, like, he's even making references to Eddie Guerrero still. Because that's his friend and that's someone who cares about. But that's the reason why he cares about him and it was his friend is because there's another person who cared about wrestling as much as him. There's a reason why Chris Jericho still... Is one of the few people who will even talk about Chris Benoit, let alone talk about Chris Benoit in a positive light, because he still cares about Chris Benoit, the wrestler. 
You know what I mean? As opposed to just Chris Benoit the man, which is rare. Because I understand, and I totally get why people wouldn't want to make that differentiation. So, if you're going to talk about a young, hungry, you know, Latinx person who's got everything that they need to be a star but just needs to put it together, I mean, I can't imagine that Chris Jericho doesn't see that connection. That, like, Sammy Guevara is, like, the Eddie Guerrero of our day. Because he is, in a lot of ways, similar to, to Eddie in that he's just so uniquely talented and so uniquely charismatic. But Eddie needed to go through the trials and tribulations and everything that happened in his life to put it all together. And hopefully Chris can help Sammy get to that without having to go through hell first. You know, like, and that's the cool yeah. thing about seeing them together. Because it is kind of like, what could have happened if, if Eddie had put that stuff together when he was younger, as opposed to putting it all together when he was, you know, broken down. So who knows? We'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean, there's nobody on the planet Earth who could help get someone like Sammy Guevara over more than Chris Jericho. Uh, we, we, can, we can move on now. Darby versus Jimmy Havoc. I actually had to step out yeah. and leave when this when this match had happened. So I went back and, and watched it, and I was curious as to how crazy they would let they would let these guys go. And I didn't think they let them do like too much, but it was just enough to like you know this is the first, this, these guys the first time on the, on the TV show. And I thought this was a good job getting both of these guys over. Yeah, it was. For sure. It was interesting, and it was it had some the actual some meat to it but it wasn't it wasn't a main event match and that's the thing that's going to have to people are going to have to get used to me and you probably as well are part of these people who are going to have to get used to it is that like guys that you're used to seeing on shows that have the philosophy of like everyone should try to steal the show are going to have to learn to kind of just be on the show and not necessarily Jimmy ha- trying to be oh, a star. Oh, I will say Jimmy Havoc's promo was so fucking bad man Jimmy continues to be more and more cringe and it sucks because he, he's getting to the point where need, it's hard for me to remember that I ever loved him. I think they you know? need to just keep keep him as a silent guy. I like this like that was really, really bad. And like presenting him as like this like silent boogeyman, I think was working for AEW. I'm not sure giving him these backstage segments and giving him time to speak and like extended mic time is the way to go i think he's gonna i think he's gonna get exposed badly on like a major league scale <laughs> and i was like oh that, that i was like oh that was bad <laughs> yeah no definitely um women's match you mentioned like you know not the best i agree which has been interesting because so far aw has been their women's division has been kind of hit or miss a little bit spotty i don't know if you agree with that no i think that the women's division being so dry right now and being so shallow is gonna is gonna is gonna wind up being a problem very soon. And Rio versus Nyla Rose exceeding expectations, that was that was great. But still watching this and knowing that they still have like Awesome Kong in the wings and all that stuff and uh, what Ali and all that, they're they're gonna they're gonna need something soon. And I'm not sure if they're going to if they're going to wind up being able to get Jordan Grace or Tessa Blanchard or Tessa Blanchard or whatever. But I think some what people people of that elk are going to be needed very soon for that women's division to really work. Well, that's a good point because there is more to the division and there's more depth to the division than we've been seeing. So it is weird to think about the women's division being kind of spotty, hit and miss, and also being a little bit dry because there's a lot more to it that's just not you know being presented yet yeah we haven't we haven't seen awesome kong yet we haven't seen ali yet we haven't seen hikaru shida yet 
Um, I still imagine we might be we might still be getting some of the some of the TJP some of the TJP girls on an infrequent basis and all that. But yeah, I can't still, wait to see the woman on AEW. <laughs> I still, I still, I still think you're gonna need that like cornerstone of the division. And I'm sorry, but like Britt Baker isn't that. You know what I mean? And I think the, like the best bet, and we said this months ago, is getting is trying to get someone like Jordan or Tessa to jump ship. And I'm not sure when that's when exactly either of those things are gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, both of them would be huge difference makers for them for their women's division right now. Uh, John Moxley versus Sean Spears. Um, fuck John Moxley, man. And I'm gonna, <laughs> and I say and I, I say this because, of course, he would fucking make me think a Sean Spears match is good. Like, of course, this guy will go out there and have what I thought was a genuinely good match with Sean Spears. Short, all that, not like not like anything to sit, sit here and like put on any kind of list, but just. Super effective. They hit each they hit each other hard. I liked all the transition spots. It was nasty. It was mean. It was definitive. I really I I enjoyed the shit out of this. I loved seeing Mox in this in this position and all that. Uh, any thoughts on the match before we go to the angle? I mean, no. Let's just yeah, just move on because I can get into what I have to say in the bigger picture angle stuff. Okay, so Kenny Omega comes out. And has a barbed wire broom and a barbed wire bat tosses the bat down the ramp in order, and I guess in implying some sort of hardcore duel with John Moxley and Pat, who was on commentary in full gear, mind you, uh, going on about why he, why isn't he in the title picture and all and all this kinds of stuff. As Omega and Moxley are approaching each other, Pat leaves the commentary booth and attacks Omega from behind. Doesn't attack Moxley. They just sort of stare at each other. And then Pat goes to the back. And Moxley doesn't do anything to Omega. He just sort of like walks by him. And I thought that was very interesting. Because now that establishes like okay. Pac is going to be one of the guys in the company now. Because now you're doing a sort of like three way thing. With Pac, Omega, and Moxley. It's sort of like that, that, that next wave of guys. After the Cody versus Jericho business is over. And I thought that was very smart. Because... I, I guess I'm not going to mind seeing more Pack and Omega matches. Or I'm not going to mind seeing Pack and Moxie matches or seeing those guys in a triple threat or whatever. I thought making it clear that these guys are the next uh, are the next up in terms of like who's going to be in the title picture was an effective segment. Yeah, and as you mentioned it, I thought about the NXT TakeOver four-way dance. Uh, Sami Zayn... Adrian Neville, Tyson Kidd. Oh my God, I can't remember who the fourth person was. Was it um? I think it was Breeze. Was yeah, I thought it, I was gonna say was it Tyler Breeze. Either way, how that was like really felt like this amazing culmination of the title picture with all the challengers and just and then you know you have the connection with Pac and you can kind of do a similar thing here. Where I'm like, I don't want AEW to rush to doing something as gimmicky as a four way dance for the title match, but honestly. This feels like this three-way feud between these guys talking about who should be the next challenger could lead into something like that with Jericho, you know, finishing, you know, beating Cody Rhodes, being presented as dominant. He's got his inner circle. And then he's, you know, the company doesn't want to deal with this asshole who keeps cheating out of his way into the title. They put him up against, you know, three challengers, the three top wrestlers on the planet. It's like, 
it's the epitome of how you make something that people historically have constantly wade keller hates three-way dances hates multi-man matches talks about how shitty they are but it's like in my mind the way that you could build to something like that so naturally right now would be like how you throw that in everyone's face how you go like yeah, multi-man multi-man matches are shit. Well, actually, you can do them really well. Actually, you can build to them where they matter. Actually, you can make it feel like it's important. And AEW doing that would honestly not be the worst thing. I would love if we got you know this three-way feud turns into even bigger than it is right now and gets to the point where you just have to put Jericho and the title into the mix with the three top challengers. Like that would be so much fucking fun. That said. Kenny Omega coming down to the apron with a barbed wire wrapped broom and bat and throwing the bat to Moxley and then standing there was the most like Kenny Omega is in his character. He presents who he is. And I could see like me saying that and people thinking that like the broom being wrapped in barbed wire is what I'm talking about because, oh, it's the cleaner. But it wasn't even that. It was his facial expressions. It was the fact that he would throw you know a barbed wire bat to moxley to have the one-on-one square up with the you know the 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 duel with the barbed wire weapons it wasn't even about what the weapons were it was about the way that his character was executing the movements the facial expressions what he was doing everything about it was this guy gets his character this guy knows how to present kenny omega to the crowd that was amazing it was just like those legendary performances where you understand someone is just so in the moment that they like they're they're not even it's effortless they are just delivering seamlessly who this character is because they understand the character inside and out they are the character they live within the realm of who that person is that you're watching and that's like the thing about kenny it's just like what the fuck (laughs) like it's so good so when you were talking about Moxley and then you asked me like you know if I had anything to say about the match I said I could save what I have to say for the the wrap up here the only thing that came to mind is just I'm doing my you know top wrestler of the year list right now I'm like kind of starting to formulate it because I have some ideas and I'm working on stuff and I'm like kind of being lazy this year and I've just pulled up my list from last year I I do that sometimes I'll like pull up my list from the year before and I'll use that as kind of like a reference guide sometimes I'll just like scorched her and I'll go onto like the board, the VOW board, and just pull up the entire list of everyone who's being nominated on the on the Voices of Wrestling. I said VOW, but I meant the We Don't Know Wrestling board. And I'll like look through the entire list of everyone who's been nominated on the on the on the board, and like just pull up that entire list of all the people, and then go through that and like, does this guy make sense? Does this guy make sense? You know, just delete people. This year I was being a little bit lazy and I just grabbed my list from last year and I'm just like going to move people around based on how they feel, how they've moved. But Moxley's not really on that list from last year, but it feels like he should be. He's had such an amazing year that I'm like, I'm kind of like, is Moxley in the conversation for top 10? I mean, the way you talked about it, but being able to like make something amazing with Spears to get you excited about everything that he does and then also to deliver. Like you don't just get excited about it. But then when the matches happen, they're they deliver on on the excitement level that what you were looking for. Like John Moxley might he's, be in he's, that conversation. He's, he's, he's been a special guy this year. Like he won't have the volume of some other people because he what he winds up leaving WWE in April or May 
and he doesn't and he doesn't actually pop up anywhere and do any wrestling until June, I think. Yeah, June winds yeah, June winds up going in doing the best of the super juniors final show, beat it beating juice and all that. And like like the rest of his WWE run is completely nothing. But everything after that, that first juice match, the G one run, the Killer Cross, the Killer Cross match, and everything. We didn't get the Barnett match, which was which is whatever. But we're getting another Juice match. We're getting another Juice match. We're getting to see him versus Omega. It's not a kid. I, I maybe can't see top ten, but if you're, but but that's me thinking of it in a vo, in a volume capacity. If you were thinking of it like wow, like I'm not sure anyone has like rocked my world the way like right. John Moxley post WWE has this year. Then for sure John has a top ten case because for me I'm not sure I've had a bigger pleasant surprise than John Moxley leaving WWE and it being like oh shit like he was totally right it wasn't just this guy losing his passion for wrestling and then leaving wrestling and he doesn't have it anymore whatever this guy is renewed reinvigorated and it shines through in his wrestling and he's a completely different person. Yeah, no, I mean, if you compare kind of the big match delivery, hype value, and star quality, if you think about that stuff in the context of, like, importance, yeah, like, it's, it's, I think it's pretty easy to make an argument for him. Like, when you talk about volume and, and all that stuff, maybe it's not there, but, yeah, I mean, and he just... He's so scary right now because because of his background. That's honestly that's the best part about the Moxley stuff is that he's a dub boy. He's got deathmatch experience. You know that like he has a history of swords, not swords, saws. He took a fucking saw to the brain from brain damage RIP to a legend. You know what I mean like he has a history of using fire, glass, violence, disgusting shit. And then when you start to see him mix in ultraviolence into mainstream wrestling again, you're like, how far is he going to take this? And that's the thing about him that's so much fun is because he's got everything. He's got the character. He's got delivering on the star power. And he's also got, like, unpredictability that no one in wrestling has. So he can, He's like, he's like, could like, could like make, and I don't want to make this comparison like lightly because I know like people's like seriously people feel about Takeda but like he's almost like positioning himself as like the American counterpart of like Masashi Takeda right because you sit there and take it and Takeda, like Takeda has these star qualities and Takeda is like this world-renowned deathmatch guy if you take him away from that environment Takeda's a really good tag wrestler Takeda's really good at sort of shoot style adjacent wrestling and Takeda can blend all that into his deathmatch wrestling and all that but at his core he has very strong basic pro wrestling skills and has a star presence and i think that's sort of what moxley has positioned himself as as a sort of takeda equivalent in america right and i think like just like just now is hitting for me because like you're right like he does have all that deathmatch experience still in his back pocket and we don't know like how far aw and tnt and every and everybody's going to let him go with this stuff but Seeing him go out there and just like kick the shit out of uh, kick the shit out of, out of Sean Spears and hit, hit these really nasty forearms and do crazy spots and all that, and I feel like that's clearly what he is modeling himself as. Yeah, and to compare that, it's like 
it's Takeda if he had the star power of Naito. You know, it's like because he's got huge mega level star power. It's it's definitely very scary to think about someone who's got he doesn't just have pretty boy, you know, I've seen him on TV star power. He's also got legit I've seen him get hit in the face with glass star power. So he's just like he's a star for everyone. He I I talked about it a bunch, you know, that like he's the biggest possible star that AEW could have gotten really from WWE because he's got crossover in a way that nobody else does. He speaks to a segment of the audience that no one else does. He speaks to teen girls just as much as he speaks to you know 20 to 30 year old men you know he is able to get every segment of the possible wrestling audience that you could want and then some because he also talks to people like me and you who are like grapple boy nerds as he wears shooter boots and was going to wrestle josh barnett in a fucking uwfi rules met you know what i mean like there's nobody else who can speak to hot topic goths you know over adrenaline twisted joker fans and then also like fucking masashi takeda not i didn't mean to say masashi takeda um but like shuji ishikawa not ah god damn i keep saying the wrong people either way he can speak to people you mean yuki, yuki shikawa i meant yuki shikawa i meant carl gotch he can speak to the fans of you know hackenschmidt as much as he can speak to the, you know, like I said, the fans of Invader Zim. The, you know what I mean? He can speak to every segment <laughs> of the possible fucking wrestling fan base. And it's insane. It's insane to think about the fact that John Moxley is probably the biggest possible star in wrestling right now. And probably in the history of wrestling. And he gets compared to Stone Cold Steve Austin in a way where, it, like, I talked about Bram, or not Bram, uh, Eli Drake earlier, feeling like a knockoff of Steve Austin. But thing about moxley is that he doesn't feel like a knockoff of austin he feels like he could just be at the same level of a star as austin in his way uniquely he's a loose cannon i mean i've compared him to roddy piper i've compared him to all this he could be the biggest star in the history of wrestling and AEW could be the place for him because i don't know of another wrestler who hits all of these quadrants all of these areas of possible fans like moxley does like am i insane to say that no, like there's really no other comparison for it. Like there genuinely isn't. And like when you're sitting there saying that I'm racking my brain trying to think of like anybody that does appeal to like every possible segment of fan and like the most I can think of is like when Eddie when Eddie Guerrero was like like was like hitting was hitting at at the peak of his powers and everything. But Eddie also wasn't like a former deathmatch guy that can give you all the hardcore stuff that you want or whatever. Right. And you know, but that but that's the closest thing I can think of. J- John is like truly like a one of a kind guy, and if he doesn't wind up being like a huge star in his AEW run, then I think that's a real shame and like real blown opportunity. Because I think right now we're seeing like someone that has a rare level of talent and rare level of popularity that could literally go anywhere. And I think that he'd be raking in a whole bunch of views, bring a whole bunch of people to the shows, whole bunch of money, whole bunch of social interaction and all that. And yeah, I, th- I think we haven't even seen, haven't even gotten a glimpse of how big John Moxley can be yet. Right. And that's the thing. Like when you hear the interview, 
you know, where he talks about how that's the, the one of the craziest parts about it is like the interviews that he's done since leaving with like Wade Keller and you know with Chris Jericho and stuff. It's like it feels like part of what makes him endearing is like what you get from those interviews is that like he doesn't I don't know if he does but he doesn't present that he understands it the same way that I do like he like that he even sees it as directly like you know like transactionally oh yes all of these people like me and I'm very good at all of these different things and I have this background and, and so I can speak to different segments of the crowd no like the way he delivers it it's just like I felt like I could do more and they didn't let me do what I could do and I didn't get to be myself. And that's the way he presents it, which it's like, that's also part of why he's so great because he presents himself in a way that feels so authentic too, even behind the scenes, even in the shoot setting where you kind of go like, oh, he's not even craving and thinking about this as like, oh, I should be a bigger star. Oh, I should make more money. He's just like, oh, I would like to be able to let people like authentically see the stuff that I can do and be an artist. So it's like he speaks to so many segments of the fan base in so many different ways. It's like really fucking impressive. And it's, again, it's just like, I don't know that there's anybody else historically who you can even compare him to, who can just talk to everyone. Guerrero is a good shout. And Guerrero had a different segment because of the Latino background, you know, that that Moxley doesn't have. So there, You know what I was saying? Yeah. Like, like, like Eddie in the sense of like... If you wanted like the great matches, like obviously like people are like, Oh man, Eddie Guerrero is so good, like SmackDown Six, all that. But then you also get Eddie in like these all time classic funny segments. Eddie's one of the best comedy wrestlers of all time. Right. So the people that aren't that aren't necessarily watching WWE for good wrestling also love Eddie Guerrero because he was such a charming and vibrant personality on the screen too. Right. And that's why that's why that's the way I was thinking of like maybe Eddie Guerrero was like hitting so many people at once but like i said it's it's not many people if anybody yeah and that i mean eddie is honestly the best comparison because again he's got the you know the latinx connection as well he's also got the drug you know the the drug addict past so there's something human about him that people can relate to so there's a lot of there's a lot of you know other ways that he can connect to the crowd that moxley doesn't have so it feels like a really fair comparison and trade-off so you know, and Eddie is a historical, once-in-a-lifetime generational talent who, yeah, like, if you don't think that Eddie Guerrero is, like, a legend, Hall of Famer of all time, it's kind of like the CM Punk thing. It's like, I, I don't take your opinion seriously. So, that's one of the few people who I think you could even compare to John Moxley, right. really. What do you think about this uh, Hangman and Dustin Navarre match? Now... I saw like, oh man, like, is like, like this is going on, and there's like twenty minutes left in the broadcast. This doesn't seem like it's good, and man, this match over delivered. I think I thought this was super fun. Yeah, I mean they they did a really good job of highlighting the younger talents who could carry the brunt of the in ring work while also not making it obvious especially with Dustin because Dustin can obviously still move and do everything like the, the thing about the natural nickname when he was young was really interesting because it's like he's young he's taken to wrestling like a you know like a duck to water he's a natural but now that he's older it's funny because that nickname has a new wrinkle to it because even at his age even at the point where you're like he shouldn't be able to do this stuff anymore he still can 
because he's right. the natural. That's the that's like one of the best things about Dustin is it's like the natural is this really two-sided nickname that fits him perfectly. It's like he didn't need a lot of experience. He completely understood wrestling because he's a natural. It doesn't matter that his body is breaking down and that he shouldn't be able to do this stuff anymore because he's the natural. He's just naturally built for wrestling. It's like all the stuff that they say about Randy Orton. You know, if you were going to build From a the ground up, just out of stone. Like, it yeah. was like, oh, my fucking God. Like, yeah. it's been like, it starts just like, it's been going on since 2003. Like, we're still doing this. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but all of that stuff is true about Dustin Rhodes. Like, he really is a natural wrestler. He was born for this. Um, so, like, you know, you had the younger stars, they got to shine with the athleticism. But you had the older stars who got to show off, like like, like you know, great time, great timing of everything, and all and all that stuff. Yeah. Doing just enough as to where you remind the crowd that like, hey, yeah, we're still here in this match. We're still important, but you're letting do, but you're letting Hangman and Sammy do all the heavy lifting here. Yeah, exactly. And it felt like it didn't for me. Someone who's looking at it with a more critical eye and is not just vis- viscerally reacting to the physicality of it. It felt like smart it felt like done well because it is about making stars and hangman and sammy need to be made so let them have the shine let them be the stars that's again like a thing where i talk about with the brain that chris jericho has he's just he's so smart about how to do wrestling then you know the angle so, so let me bring this up the, the so finish. That now so we like they used their first week to establish the big heel stable and everything jake hager being this big surprise and now they use their second week to establish the baby faces as credible. And one thing that we saw was MJF come out. And MJF has been clearly presented as a heel in his own stuff. You know, winning in an underhanded fashion versus Brandon Cutler in the first in the first broadcast, cutting a cutting a promo, being mean and derogatory to the crowd and all that. But in that, even before the TV show, the relationship between MJF and Cody has always been that MJ, but has been that Cody is, is MJF's closest friend in wrestling. So people have wondered, well, what's going to happen here? Even I think even we wondered here, like, are they going to wind up turning MJF? Like, what's the what's the goal here? And after that closing angle where MJF M, MJF is offered to hit Cody with the chair and all that stuff, MJF turns around and he rallies with the baby faces. It feels like. AEW is going to go full on with using MJF as like this kind of weird experiment for a clear, like nuanced tweenerish character where MJF is a dick and he's mean and he's mean to people, but he also has Cody who's a nice guy and a fan favorite. That's also his, that's also his best friend. And I'm think that's an interesting concept, but I wonder like, what's your take on that? It's definitely an interesting concept. And it's the kind of kind of layered character nuances that you can present that I'm excited for in a lot of ways. Because, you know, in works of fiction, I've always enjoyed nuanced characters. I've always, I've honestly always said that, like, my favorite literary device is a tragic hero. You know, I always like... You know, when the protagonist doesn't even have to be a hero. I always like when the protagonist dies. I think that the best stories end with the protagonist dying. I just, I I enjoy that. But that's also, I'm talking about literature. I'm talking about something where you can put a lot more depth into it. And especially in literature, you don't have to deal with the constructs of 
the the physical performer and that's my only issue with this is just to think about like mjf as a performer being able to pull this off so far he's been very good you know and i i'm not going to be you know co-opted in any way but our good friend harrison you know tiger millionaire on twitter uh harrison harry zen uh the pro wrestler he trained with mjf somewhat at, at creative pro and he's a big fan of mjf as well and and historically you know we both watched plenty of mjf stuff i don't know if he can 100 percent deliver for this character the thing about mjf is that i think when he does the off the cuff babyface stuff he's honestly pretty likable he comes across authentic he does a from from everything I've heard, MJF is a genuinely but, good guy. Like from everything, like from everything that I've, I've yeah. ever heard about him, he's a genuinely supportive, good guy. But his mindset with pro wrestling is like he's committing to the bit, he's committing to the character, committing to all of that stuff. So that's why I think it's a little, a little interesting. And I started sorry to cut you off there, but that's why I think it's so interesting. Like MJF, who like in the flashes we've got of it, like it can be a pretty good, fiery, likable babyface can then flip the switch and be like a dickhead heel at the bottom of the card, which I think is super fascinating. It's, and it, the thing is that it reminds me of, you know, something that happened in SUP, which we'll, we'll get into talking about SUP here in a little bit. Um, when he came out and was doing his kind of injury angle and he turned on Regis Jesse there, it was that when he was cutting the pre-promo before he turned and before he did all that, it was like, I remember at the time being like, he's being so vulnerable he's being so human he's being so likable he's being so relatable everything that he was doing like it felt real and it's just it's really tough because he is so committed to the heel thing that we're like he plays a heel character on the austin podcast he you know he sticks with the mjf character even in those settings to see on major league tv they'll blend the lines so much more than he used to do on social media when so many other people go the other way when so many other people present one thing on tv and then they blend they blur the lines on social media he does the opposite where he's like 100 percent the heel character on social media and then on tv they're like blurring the lines it's really fucking weird but again i'm like I don't want to be co-opted by you know the, the you know the exposure that I've had to him from people who know him directly as a person and all this stuff, and I just I don't know if he's gonna be the guy to pull this off, but it it feels like maybe maybe he will be, like the guy who can do something like this and make it work on national TV because I have not seen a lot of people who can really be this authentically hateable that people can't stand to them as a heel. But then also so authentically likable that like you really relate to them as a person when they're being a baby face and all of it feeling really off the cuff and all of it feeling really shooty you know it's like none of it feels like contrived none of it he, feels like a performance he does a really good job of and, and you know what it is too mentioned. is like he sort of like blends it together really well too because look at the moment when he does everything and uses the chair on the inner circle instead he like instead of like you know making sure that every everything is done and making sure that everybody is saved, he's sitting there closing his eyes and basking in the glory from the audience and all that stuff. And it lets you know like 
it's not like he flips a switch and he's suddenly a good guy. Like, no, he's just a good guy to his friend, but at his core, he's still a cocky, arrogant dickhead. And that even in that moment of doing a good thing, he lets that arrogance get in the way of that, and he's look, that's why he winds up taking a code breaker, because he's being arrogant. <laughs> right, and that's, it, I mean, it works. Because it's like, even bad guys do the right thing, they just do it for the wrong reason, right? So it's like, it's kind of that thing. It's like, he's still the same dickhead. He's still, so we'll see how it goes. I mean, oh, I'm, 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 I, I was saying, thing, like, the reason I'm into it is just because, like, that's, like, real life, though. Like, I'm glad that wrestling has always been, like, this medium of where, like, we still get the good guy and the bad guy and all that stuff. But sometimes, like, I, I, I am interested in seeing, like, a more, like, realistic, like, human approach to wrestling. And I think MJF will be a, will be a good, like, experiment for that because just in life, like, like obviously like we know like they're bad like they're bad people or consider people we consider bad but like even people that have done like bad things have done good things in their lives too and i'm wondering like how you how you how you do a take on that in a professional wrestling sense and is professional wrestling like a responsible enough medium or art form where you tack where you tackle that carefully and tastefully i don't know but i, I i'm interested in seeing someone try yeah, I'm also really excited for that. And I think that if there's any company that can be the place to try it, it's AEW just because of the way that they have the splintered social media presence. Just the way that they have the Young Bucks who are so tongue-in-cheek with their mix of like what they present on camera versus who you interact with online versus who sells you a t-shirt. You know, like... I feel like AEW is probably the best possible place to try to pull something off like this, and it's really cool to have it be MJF and not be any of the other major players because because it's like them showing like we kind of created these lanes, but we're going to let other people kind of expand and other people like kind of take what we've done and turn it into their own thing, you know. And that's that's honestly really cool. Okay, is that is that it for AEW says? I don't think any of either of us have it. Have, have, Probably, well, I don't think we meant to even. Yeah, but, but, like, yeah, but I think we we're just really excited topic. about the episode. Like, I think it was just a really good. Yeah, it was a great episode. But um, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say going back to NXT a little bit, and I don't have any strong thoughts on it, but it is it is really interesting that like we keep getting these kind of like Roger Strong versus Isaiah Scott matches and Walter versus Kushida on NXT. And they're putting that foot forward and we're still getting, you know, AEW taking their time and like really trying to establish these other guys. And you can say like Walter is new to the NXT audience, Kushida is new to the NXT audience, like whatever, like whatever you want to do there. But I do think it's interesting that it does feel like NXT is still taking like the great match approach and that AEW is still set in the, all right, let's try to like keep like, let's try to keep building these guys up thing. And we didn't touch on the rating. We didn't touch on the ratings this time, but the ratings for both shows did wind up did wind up dropping. AEW still want, still did a, still did a million plus and all that. And NXT might have dropped another hundred hundred k or whatever, but it, like rel- like and, and attendance. I mean, not attendance. Rating stays relatively the same, so it's not much to note of, much much note of there. But um, one thing before we move on to sub because I want to do sub last because I want to end on a positive note. Yes. I want to talk about Hell in a Cell a little bit. <laughs> and Okay, well, let me just... Okay, so just to hit... I'll hit some NXT talk really quickly. Which is just... 
you mentioned it, but just to even put the finest point on it for the comparison, the best possible wrestler who actually performed in the ring and wrestled on Wednesday night was Drew Gulak. He was in the opening round match and he dropped his title belt to Leo Rush in NXT. And the shit that he did, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Drew Gulak is fucking amazing. He's had a great historical, year. Yeah. Like when it comes to the mechanics of wrestling, he is fucking beautiful. Like he's so good. I really liked the Forgotten Sons getting something here because I still think that there's something to them. I really like them as an act. Um, and I don't think it matters now because NXT doesn't matter now. They're just at a point where it doesn't fucking matter. Um, I'm not going to belabor the point, but you know, Walter versus Kushida was a lot of fun, but it felt like the biggest possible devaluing of Walter that you could ever do and just really wasted essentially a big so time that, huge that, That's something they're confused now. Are we just doing Walter on both NXTs now? Like... Yeah. yeah. No, I think he's just—he's all NXT. I mean, okay, I mean, because he still has the NXT UK belt, right? Like, probably. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm I mean, saying. I don't cares. know, but yeah, like, I keep seeing NXT do this stuff, and I just can't imagine NXT ever getting to a point where anybody really cares that they're doing this. And I think historically, you know, if AEW winds up lasting, is going to be a real like funny thing to look back on that WWE decided yeah we're gonna go head up with AEW on Wednesdays and then like no one said like no one cared about anything they did right but if you think about it as all that NXT is meant to do is just siphon off a small percentage of viewers from AEW basically then like there is something to that you know but if you don't think about it, that WWE had any concept of having NXT actually compete with AEW, but just steal some viewers, you know there is something. Do you believe? Do you do concept. you give any credence to that? Like, do you think? Like, do you honestly think that like they were sitting yeah. there and they were like, "All right, we're not going to beat AEW, but we can like take something from them, like like take some like take some audience from them." I think they came in with the intention of of beating AEW. I think they'll take like any victory they can get. But I for sure think the goal was we're going to win out versus AEW. I I honestly okay. don't think so. I really think that NXT is just meant to steal some viewers from them, keep some distance, and just basically just like handicap AEW. And that's it. That's the whole point of this. It's not meant to... But they do realize they're not handicapping which, them at all, right? Because like they have different audiences. Right. Like, Do you think... Yeah, at this point, they have to start to see that. They're not so like that's what, like that's what I'm wondering is like now like I think maybe like you're too all in on the uh, on a Fox I'm um, not Fox thing, the the uh, NXT on USA thing like back out of it but I do think you look at that and you're like oh like shit like if that was the goal then yeah they're they they're not taking away from our numbers there's a that's just their own numbers based on people wanting to watch AEW. <laughs> yeah, at this point now they're just only hurting themselves. They're not really doing anything. To actually hurt AEW. All right, we can um getting back getting back to Hell in a Cell again. Uh, the worst. The, I, I want to get to the good stuff first. I want to say that Sasha. Sa- what? What? What was good? What was yeah, good? Oh, the yeah. entire show. Okay. No, I, I didn't I watch the whole show, show either. I, I, I cherry picked it. 
Sasha versus Becky was a very good match. I think it could have been better. I think they teased stuff like handwork and then like didn't really commit to it and it was weird, but I liked the violence. There was a lot of creative creative spots in it. I feel like Sasha should have won. But I think she wound up getting drafted by SmackDown, I think, last night. So like if like if that's if that if that's what's going on, then fine. But like I, I thought that I, I thought the call there was Sasha should have been should have been winning that belt to cap, capitalize on the heel turn and everything. Uh, I watched Brian, I watched Brian and Reigns versus Harper and Rowan, and I saw like a lot of praise for this, so I checked it out. I love Brian. I want to get him as high on my wrestler of the year list as possible. And then I watch it and I'm like, I don't understand what people liked about this match. And I like Harper and Rowan. I love yeah. Brian and I really like Roman Reigns. It was that match was boring as fuck, and what well, well, Harper takes a Rana bump off the announce table to the floor and all that, and Roman does the leaping spear off of announce table through another announce table, and all that looks cool, but I just don't understand how anyone watched that match. It was like, oh yeah, that was like great. I thought the control by Rowan and Harper was actually pretty boring and dry. And that's surprising because I think those guys have historically been really good control segment people and watching them sort of struggle in that capacity, I was surprised by, but that was pretty boring to me. And Bailey versus Charlotte, Bailey versus Charlotte was good. You get sort of the subverted idea of someone working on Charlotte's leg instead of Charlotte working on another person's leg and all that. And it was a weird decision to have Charlotte win in the moment. And then they turn around and the next week they have Bailey come out with a new haircut, new theme song, like further the heel turn, kill off the inflatable inflatable buddies and all that and win the title back. But I thought that I thought that was good too. And now that that's out the way, now we can get to the encounter. Well, I do have to mention that the the Bailey with the and let me talk to your manager haircut is very much my kink so i i'm going to be a little people, bit people people keep doing like comparing her to like tessa blanchard and like going to like the gear for that she looks so much like dakota kai now like just like it's like yeah, yeah it's like, like that like that's what i thought of and then i go on people and i see like doing like the whole like meme of like hey you can copy my homework but don't copy it too much and like and like saying it's tessa blanchard and, like i don't i don't see that at all but I saw her haircut. I'm like, wow, she looks almost like Dakota Kai. I guess probably just because Tessa obviously has like dark dyed hair, raven black dyed hair that's like flat ironed, so I can kind of see that. But like Bailey's always had the yeah, same that's always hair Bailey's style. hair. It's just shorter now, yeah. So I don't really see the the comparison there, but whatever. I guess. Uh. Um. But either way, let's get into the main event where we have the you know the the sexiest swarthy person in WWE with long black hair, Seth Rollins, um, going up against the Fiend in um, what the fuck is okay. with the lights? Okay, Why is so it like, red like this, I had never actually watched any of the Bray Wyatt Firefly Funhouse stuff. So yeah, me neither. I'm watching it, and I'm watching like the video package leading up to this match and everything. And I'm just so confused because, like, I I could excuse the Bray Wyatt push and how he's being presented in this Hell in a Cell match. 
if he also wasn't very clearly Bray Wyatt, because they make no they make no attempt yeah. to disassociate like the past like Bray Wyatt and what he was from what the Fiend is. Like it's still very much clear like Bray Wyatt the Fiend. Yeah, and it's, it's and, guy, like, so yeah. I think the push there is super fucking weird, but whatever. Like on its face, and I said this, in, and I said this in the Slack. Like I think I appreciate Bray's mind for wrestling because he takes like these wacky like sort of like movie character ideas and i think he applies them in a rest in the wrestling setting extremely well the problem is, is that wwe is like so ham-fisted and like overzealous with certain things that these don't like these things don't get time to simmer or like stay as i guess like maybe organic feeling as they were before because bray wyatt gets over and the next thing you know the in the john cena cage match he has a singing demonic child preventing John Cena from leaving the cage. And now you get Bray Wyatt getting the shit stomped out of his head like 13 times in a row and they do this whole injury angle, but he just pops up and he is making Seth Rollins' mouth bleed with a mandible claw. And like, it, like, they just go a little too hard with it instead of just letting it naturally take its course. So... I have always been a, a Bray, been a Bray apologist. I think Bray does these things very well. I feel like WWE eventually ruins them, though. No, I mean that's a really fair way to look at it, and like I describe it, it's just like Bray is really good at things that I hate. Like when you talk about like the way that his brain works, is it, he's perfect at this. He is so good and so committed to stuff that I think is like the antithesis of what wrestling should be but he's really good at it and he does make it work and like for the most part he does make it enjoyable even for me and I don't like what he's doing but he commits to it and he has the right mind for it and it's just not something that I enjoy it's like you know the every now and then I'll watch a horror movie that I like don't hate and it's like very rare it's like you know but that's kind of where he's at but but this match was like this, I I can't even say that it's like just because of the WWE presentation or whatever it's just like it there was a lot of really stupid things it's like repeatedly. like no hyperbole and, I think this is the worst match I've ever seen and like for some people when they think of a bad match they think of like like actual bad mechanics and all that kinds of stuff and like yeah, yeah, yeah and I don't, I don't think that way. I think of like, with the resources you're given, with the time you're given, and like all these people being involved and trying to make this thing work. I get more offended when you like have all these people like involved in something, and you come up with something that bad. Not like two people that have never been like smooth wrestlers going out there and having like having an extremely clunky and bad match. Because like, what else would you expect from them? Like, a team of people wrote this match and laid this match out. And that's what you came up with. And I'm not saying these are, the, these are the best wrestlers in the world. But Bray Wyatt is a competent wrestler. Seth Rollins is a competent wrestler. But you sit there and you lay out everything that goes against any logic. Like. Well, that's the thing. You, you said that everything about this was delivered smoothly. There was nothing clunky here physically. It was just what they were delivering was bad. Like the... The script, it was off off book, it was terrible. Like, you know. How do you sit there and, one, Bray Wyatt not winning the fucking match. I, I, I'm still so bothered by this. 
because it goes against everything else that you did for the rest of, for the rest of, from the rest of this point. So Bray Wyatt is allowed to no sell every single thing that happens in this cage. He does not register pain at all. And when he does, and when he does get knocked down by something, it's not like he's selling the concept of pain. He's just like laying there being hit by laying there being hit in like a Michael Myers, Jason capacity. Like you knock him down, but he's not like he's like screaming in agony or anything like that. He's just sort of like a body just laying there. And you do all this stuff and he just keeps kicking out and kicking out and kicking out. And like, what does that accomplish? Like you in this process of like getting Bray over as this sort of like monster figure, you're destroying Seth Rollins. And like some people might not care about that. Some people might not like, like might not like Seth Rollins. I'm not a Seth Rollins fan, but like, I don't know how you look at that and you don't see a wrestler that's being completely shit on. And it's like in an irredeemable way that like might end up destroying this guy's entire run. Not saying he's suddenly not going to be stop, suddenly stop getting pushed as a top guy, but this idea of like Rollins ever being a guy that like does anything substantial, like you just completely blew that up because now you have no reason to take him seriously at all. And now you have Bray Wyatt who does all this stuff and takes all these curb stomps and everything and doesn't win the match. They have a DQ inside of the hell in the cell. Like the wacky hammer thing that he pulls out. Like I I really just want to understand how anyone thought laying this match out the way it was was a good idea for anybody because I you fucked up two people at the same time. Bray Wyatt who could have been like the Bray Wyatt and this fiend thing could have been something for you. I'm not saying this would have like been a game changer it would have been any substantial like needle mover or drewing ratings but it could have been something now that got completely shot down now seth rollins there was there's no chance of him being at being anything and this is one of those thing cases of like overbooking but like it's it's really the most overbooked match i've ever seen and i know that's weird to say when like you go to like the like attitude era main events and you have something like the, have something like like Triple H have Triple H and his title defenses in the uh, McMahon in the McMahon Helmsy Corporation and all and all that stuff, but to me this is the most overbooked match of all time because like none of this was necessary, none of these hoops were necessary. All Bray had to do was just win and be this dominant force, and yet you create all these unnecessary hurdles and hoops and only just hurt people in the process of this. Yeah, I mean, a very basic idea here is just you deliver what people expect. And they gave it to us. Like, they mostly gave you what you would expect based on what you're presented. But then they had to go over the top. And then doing the DQ and, 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 and the sledgehammer and the, the mandible. Even then after the DQ to, like, do well, the mandible claw. What was the, the point of the DQ else? if like, you're just going to have Bray no-sell it? Like what? Like what was the point of doing this whole like conflict, like yeah. conflicted humanity and no. Seth Rollins of whether or not he's gonna do this to set to, to Bray Wyatt just to have Bray to, just to have it not register at all, and he just gets up and kills Seth Rollins. What was the point of anything? <laughs> right. None of it delivers anything, other than to just to say that that referee is an idiot. Like. Is that the the message that you're sending me? Is that you're gonna put all the heat on the referee? Like, that's the antithesis of what you should be doing in wrestling. And for that to be basically what you send me home with is 
It's why WWE is fucked. Like, it really is. Like, we just talked about how good AEW was. I'm sorry, but you put AEW up against this? And I don't see how anyone picks WWE over AEW. You know, we talked about NXT. NXT is honestly being booked really smartly, even though they're losing every week to AEW, and they will continue to lose every week to AEW. It's being booked really smartly because they're just giving you good wrestling. And that's basically the only place that WWE compete with AEW right now is that they have a roster of a lot of good wrestlers who can deliver high-quality matchups. But when it comes to everything else, when it comes to booking, when it comes to story, when it comes to star power even, I can't... There's not a single fucking wrestler in WWE full-time who's a bigger star than anyone in AEW. Honestly... The top people in AEW are the stars. And when Chris Jericho... Or not Chris Jericho. When when Kenny Omega said that we're going up against developmental undercard guys compared to me, and I'm the star, and people were like saying that that was shitty of him to say and Donovan Dijek was calling him out. It's like, are you fucking bullshitting? Kenny Omega is a bigger star in the context of actually wrestling than even Seth Rollins. Because of just this. What you just talked about. The way that Seth Rollins is presented here as a fucking jobber, as someone who can't do jack shit to Bray Wyatt, who also lost, kind of, and got DQ'd and got knocked out or whatever, and, 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 and Kenny Omega is a bigger And it's also still Bray guys. Wyatt. Like, again, if, this, if we just completely disassociated and we just didn't acknowledge that Bray Wyatt existed and we just did, like, The Fiend, okay. I can take that. I can accept that. At least you're making an effort into like present this as like a new thing. This is very clearly Bray Wyatt. This Bray Wyatt with mask right. on. Why is he so afraid? Why is he all of these things? I don't understand. Like the reason I hate to even bring this up, but like the reason why like Kane and Undertaker worked is I feel like that there was like some sort of consistency there. And you can argue that with Undertaker like the American like the American like the American badass era and all that stuff or like without the supernatural thing like you know like that's an inconsistency but even in that he's presented as this like big menacing figure in wwe same thing with kane and kane has his moments of being comedic but consistently kane is someone to be feared and terrified of and and all and all of this stuff and i don't but, but that never resulted in like a crazy monster push for kane after his initial wwe run though same thing for Undertaker. It never resulted in like some crazy monster push after his initial run. You're taking Bray Wyatt and trying to do this six years after he initially debuted and act like no one notices it and that people should just accept it? And here's the thing. It almost worked. It really did almost work. If you don't fuck yeah. up that badly and if you maybe just disassociate a little bit, it could have worked. But then you get in your own way. And- I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> like it really is one of the most baffling things I've ever seen, and this didn't, this doesn't even go into like the production of it, the the lights, and why is it, st- why is it, why are the lights red? Why is the, you know, the red cage was one thing, but now the lights are red throughout the entire thing, and there was just so much here in total package. I'm not sure I've ever seen anything worse in my time watching wrestling. No, no, and I repeatedly the thing that kept being annoying to me was how hard they were working at like trying to present something. 
but I couldn't even appreciate the story or the facials or anything that they were doing because I couldn't see it because of the lighting, because of the cage, because of all of it. So the idea that like, you know, they're, oh, they're telling you a story. It's like, I can't fucking see what's going on. I can't see the story that you're telling me. So then get into the deeper stuff. How does Bray Wyatt use a, a hammer and it's fine? And then, you know, when Seth uses a hammer, now it's a deep. It's, it's, like, what the it's, fuck? It's, How? You could have just not done both <laughs> hammers. Like, that's pretty easy. I, I, I don't know, man. Like, it's, I don't know what they were thinking writing this match. And like, there's going to be one of those things where you're going to look back on it years from now. You're going to be like, yo, what the fuck were we thinking here? It's going to be one of those things where if WWE is still around and is producing their own content and all that, that they're going to make fun of themselves years later. And people are going to be like, wow, we can say this now? Like, what? Like, the fucking fiend sucks. And I don't know how we even got away with that or why that was a thing. The thing is, that I won't because, like, I just know that myself historically, I don't remember or care about WWE stuff because, you know, that's just how I am because WWE is not wrestling to me. But yeah, I get what you mean. The thing about The Fiend, though, is I might remember it because I'm just going to be like, oh, remember when the Joker was the most popular thing in the world and then WWE had a character that was, like, kind of like it and they could have just gone with it, but they chose not to? This would be the most culturally relevant that WWE could have ever been if they had just gone with the Joker. You know, because, I mean, Joker's going to win, like, Picture of the Year for 2000, you know, like, for this year. And they could have had their champion be the Joker guy. But they decided to do this bullshit. And it's... Yeah, so I, I might remember this more than I would remember any other terrible thing that WWE has done. Which is part of the conversation when you talk about this being... The worst match of the year. I don't think there's any doubt. You know? Is there any doubt that this is the worst match of the year? Like, what can you compare this to that's worse? People will throw out, like, Okada versus Jericho. And, like, I have my piece on why that was frustrating. But, like, that was still, like, mechanically fine. And, like, it was inoffensive. Like, I thought the finish was super fucking dumb. But everything about this was dumb, though. Like, like, there's no redeeming quality there. Like, I can't say that I thought, like, Okada was bad in that match. If anything, Okada did the best out of, like, anybody has of, like, trying to get the, like, trying to get this Jericho stuff to work in, like, a typical pro wrestling match setting and not, like, a wild walking brawl. This has no redeeming qualities, I think. Yeah, this is... To me, this is easily the worst match of the year, and I don't think that there's really any kind of debate. All right, I think I think I think we're I think we're done with that. You want to just finish off a sup? Yeah, let's get into sup, and let's just get into some real enjoyable wrestling. So the first so the first thing I wound up seeing from this, and like obviously they're jumping ahead a little bit, and spoiler alert if you haven't watched the show, but. AC Mack winning the Bone Storm title versus Brett Eisen. And the yeah, and every, and everything everything involving it, but I really do like this idea though. And I remember something that we had talked about with Dylan when he was when he was on the when he was on the show, this idea that like setting up AC Mack as like sort of like the like whole like ace of the southern region. And I think 
no like no one is better suited for that than him to just sort of like be the face of the entire scene and right now I, yeah. I'm glad to see that sort of come to fruition because I stand by that, that I don't think anyone is better suited to be the face of the region or someone that you put all your um all your backing behind than AC Mac and I think is I, th- I think it's gonna pay off well and here's the thing when you talk about that the 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 best thing that IWTV is doing as a connective tissue as a you know across the board all of these promotions things that they're doing is they're creating a really awesome hierarchy of people who can compete with each other right now 2018 what do you have you've got the SCI winner Dan Makabe you've got the Turbo Graps winner slash IWTV champion in the War Horse right and then now you have, on the same level with the IWTV family, you've got the Action Champion, you've got the Sup Champion in AC Max. So you've got three guys who all feel like they have the argument for being the top people in independent wrestling on IWTV. And, and the great thing about it is that these three guys have very rarely crossed paths with each other. But they've crossed paths enough to be right. interesting. Where it's like, they all have, they've mixed it up with each other a little bit. Dan and Jake had a singles match in sub. I said Jake, I meant Warhorse. Dan and Warhorse had a singles match in sub that Warhorse won. But since then, Dan won SCI. So he also beat Jake Warhorse I get it like trying to like getting out of the habit of calling him Jake is gonna be hard and historically I'm talking about matches where he used to be called yeah. Jake you know like so that's part of it too so Dan has wrestled Jake in the past Dan has wrestled Warhorse in the past and he and Warhorse beat him but in the finals of SCI Dan beat everybody he beat AC Mack and he beat Warhorse you know, technically, he didn't actually eliminate Warhorse for the match, but he beat him. So, to think about that, like Dan is feels like he's at the top of it. He won SCI. That means he he beat everyone. But AC Mack has beat. You know, now he's beat Brett Eisen. Now he's beat everyone in action. He's beat Warhorse probably. Warhorse is also he beat Dan. He's got the IWDV TV championship. So. These three guys are all, like, really clashing. They're, like, really built up for these three guys to, to face off. Who's the real ace of, of IWTV? It's fucking amazing. You know, like, IWTV has done such a great job of existing. I'm really, really proud of IWTV. Because, like, they were born out of this idea that, like, sub, or not subgraps, um, flow graps was going to be something... But it just never became anything. But IWTV has like exceeded the greatest wish that you could ever have hoped for for Flow, for Flow Slam to be something. Because like this is amazing. We have three big time stars who all have grounds to talk about themselves as the ace of IWTV, and they're gonna like clash heads pretty soon. On top of the fact that like talk about three guys but four guys like where the fuck is Craig Mitchell Craig Mitchell was supposed to get a title shot this weekend 
but he disappeared from injury, and he's still in my conversation as a guy who should be in this conversation for being an ace. So you basically have like four guys who should be the top stars of IWTV is like where I'm at. And that's, yeah. So coming out of this weekend, I feel like you legitimize AC Mack in that conversation now that he's the dual champion of the, the Southern region on top of having the you know actual IWTV champion, on top of having the SCI champion. And now we just got to like, get these guys in the ring and really let them walk No, up. yeah, they definitely done a good job of building people. And again, that's something that I like about this idea of the IWTV family and how they do things is stretching people all across these promotions and you getting getting so familiar with these people and eventually creating these matches that you're like, oh shit, like I really want to see this. And... Now I'm now I'm just curious about how we how we see this played out. Like officially, like AC Mac is the ace of the South. Like, like that, like that is like that is pretty clear. So now I want to see like how far we go with these things and all that because that's, we talked about it before. I said there's a legitimate argument that I think AC Mac is better in sub. Not that he's having better matches in he in sub than he is in action, but just the way he connects and the level of hate he gets in sub is just different because action is. PG, action is PG, action is um, you know, a lot of really oriented around the make make a make a wish foundation and all that stuff. So, it only it only goes so far there. Sup, it has this sort of like volatile nature where you don't know how they're gonna re, how they're gonna react to AC Mac AC Mac one day. So I I really like the intrigue there. Um, and honestly, like I I, I think we reached a reached the peak of like what Brett Eisen could do with the title. I don't think maybe we could have yes. gotten a definitive O'Shea Edwards versus Brett Eisen match, but I don't think I don't think you need the belt for that. And yeah, yeah, I, and I don't know. Like I was never I was never like a big like Brett fan in the first Brett fan in the first place. Like not discrediting what he what he what he's done there, but he was perfect for us up. And I think I think it was time to move on. I think he legitimized that title in a way that I. I think that they were hoping right. that um, Kurt Stallion would, but I think that he that Kurt didn't do that. But I think that Brett really legitimized that title. I don't know. If, I don't know if you uh, have like any any big any big big picture uh, whole whole show thoughts. But I really like Cabana Man Dan versus Gary J. I loved that, and I loved Cabana Man coming out with the. Uh, with the new yeah. title, the big, the big gold, the, the gigantic so gold. Huge. Yeah, yeah, and I really enjoyed the match a lot, and I thought that you know it was it was interesting because it was not what I would expect, but it was also like it was kind of a theme for the night. It was a nice way to open it up because it was a theme for the night in that like this felt like a face versus face match. I felt like it would have been really easy to have Gary J just work heel for this match, but he didn't. He stayed pretty, like pretty consistent to the Gary J character, which is, which is a babyface character, honestly. And I could definitely see how like people could could not, a hundred percent see it that way, you know, just because he's like he's more like a non-existent character in a lot of ways. But to me, I've always thought of Gary J as like a pure babyface yeah. character, and. It would have been very easy to, to have just had him work heel here against someone like Kamehameha Dan, who's a very, you know, solid babyface. 
but instead um, they did a, a face versus face match and that continued to be a theme of the entire show where it felt like there was like a lot of babyface versus babyface matches in general on the show um, but but these they both brought it and they both you know kicked ass overall uh did you how did you about the about the Cody Vance versus versus Lee Johnson match? I'm not sure. I I don't remember much much about it. So you're going to have to, you're going to, have to lead me lead me through that if it was anything to note. Yeah, nothing to note except for the uh, the cord cutter. I really like that as the finisher move name, um, with Cody Vance doing a rip cord into a cutter. I think cord cutter is a cool move name. Um, I think Cody Vance was the this match was probably out of the entire show the most purely heel versus babyface match of the entire show um, which is another tick in the box of like you know paying attention to what's going on um, so like otherwise yeah it was just like I don't know the you know it was a good match both guys delivered pretty solidly and like I said it was probably the the most clear heel versus babyface match on the entire show, um, which is interesting because the second match that it was presented as a pretty, uh, you know, not run of the mill, but like presented as like a kind of tryout mm. match. I remember, I remember liking both the guys, and that's something that I do give up a lot of credit for. That when they introduce these people that haven't really been sub regulars. I always wind up having at least one that I'm like, oh well, I really hope that person comes back. I like seeing, I like seeing that guy. And I think they do they do a, they do a good job picking the picking talent that I think is gonna that stands out and that people might get attached to. Right, right. I didn't. I didn't. Re- I, yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't really watch this battle royal. I'll yeah. be honest with you. Don't care about it. There was a lot of junk. Uh, Danny Janela. I don't know what the deal is with him, but he is what he is. But the next match, I really enjoyed. Shire yeah, and I saw again yeah, when that one got announced. Yeah. I was really, I was really into it. I like Zach Cooper a lot, and I believe Thomas Shire is the guy that had that match with Eddie Kingston that people are going have gone crazy for this year. I haven't, yes. I haven't gotten around to that yes. match yet. I know I should, but when I saw that one, I was really, really into it. Yeah, Shire rolls ass. He's he's a really good kick ass dude from St. Louis Anarchy. Um, he showed up a little bit in NWL. Um, you know kind of a 20-year vet guy who just hasn't gotten respected. He's big. He's bad. He kicks ass. Uh, Zach Cooper is a younger, badass dude. Um, so these guys, they locked it up, and they did a really good job of like paying attention to their size and giving a lot of respect to just being a badass, kick-ass match in the middle of the show. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is in would be in my conversation a match of the year but it's in my conversation for matches that you should watch it's yeah for sure like fun. it's too big if you're just like looking yeah. for people and again like you know the current indie scene is about finding new people to get into and all that and if you haven't seen that if you haven't seen these guys definitely give zach cooper and thomas shire a watch like if you're into seeing guys like danny garcia and bullet joe and matt mikowski on uncharted territory come up like just Flip on the sub show and watch Zach Cooper and Thomas Shire, and you'll see guys that are ready to take that yes. ready, ready to take the next that next leap too. Yes, and they're both big. They're both yeah. big badasses, which adds to it because they're big, sizable Haas guys who can also go in the ring. Shire can 
go. Like when it comes so can, to grappling, so can so can Cooper. Sure. Like so Cooper has like has like a That's Ethan true. Page yeah. sort of build to him. And then he but then he can fly around and he can hang and he can hang with uh with some with some mat stuff too. And he, and, he, and I think he throws some pretty good strikes. I'm I'm high. He had a good ass yeah. match with Dan Makabe. So we talk about people yeah. I'm, I'm high. I'm match. high on both of these guys. Like I said, if you're looking for new indie guys to or newer fresh indie guys that haven't been getting prominent bookings or anything, like really check these guys out for sure. And I would and I would say that applies to the next match too. Jaden Newman and Allen Angels. And yes. Newman was in the S was in SCI and everything. He's been a he's been a sub regular has action bookings all that stuff. But Alan Angels, a guy that I think gets like forgotten when it comes to people in this southern scene, maybe because he hasn't gotten a whole bunch of super high profile matches. But Alan Angels can be really good. I think the gimmick, I think the gimmick is fun. It, the it's your boy thing and all that. I think it's cute. I think it's funny. And I thought this match ruled a lot too. Yeah, and I think he's a better heel, but working babyface more now has been working for him. I think his SDO on the apron puts uh, Jimmy Rave to, to, to shame. I love his finisher with the surfboard kind of surfboard kind of a Taliban backpack thing that he does. Uh, works really well. And then Jaden Newman. I mean, you know, I'm 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 high on Jaden Newman. I think compared to some people, I'm also shaky on Jaden Newman compared to others. But I do think that he's got something. He's got a personality. He's just kind of like together. I don't like all the sort of like Johnny Gargano. So like I'll, I'll say it nicely, like Johnny Gargano clones that we've gotten over the last like couple of years. And I would say people like sort of like like sort of like Willer Willer Yuta, Sage Phillips, Jaden Newman goes in here too. I think Jaden I think Jaden is only a little bit behind Wheeler, and I, yeah, and, I, and I, yeah. that's that's high praise because I think Wheeler is very good. And my thing with Jaden Newman is I asked him once, I was like, did they call you Numero Uno because you look like Damian Dunn? Yeah. Because he's the one Damian Dunn. And he does have kind of a vibe of Damian Dunn in some ways, which is not a bad thing. Because I think that Damian Dunn is a really solid worker who's good at comedy. And he plays his character. And I think that, that Jaden Newman is in the same conversation. I think he could be a solid comedy worker, but he can also be a really good serious worker. So... You know he's he's just got to put it together. He's got to figure out what he's mm. going to be. Next match, IWTV Championship match, Warhorse versus Matthew Justice. I had a little bit of a conversation on Twitter with Sam, the like I said, Papa of the the network about Matt Justice. But I think Matt Justice is a really not I wouldn't say underrated but underappreciated person for what his role is. In that he's like a, a really good, solid mid-card guy on indie wrestling who's fun. He's a crowd pleaser. But you can, like, out of nowhere, believe that he gets a title shot against someone like Warhorse, where he just, like, brings it, you know? And he just, he brings in some of his wild shit. He brings out the doors. He does the whole thing. It's kind of what I thought about, like, why Jimmy Havoc should have been the first, or been the person who won the match with Darby to beat the challenger for Jericho. Is that, like, well, you don't believe him as a credible threat when it comes to wrestling in general. You do believe him as a credible threat because he's a fucking wild card. And you don't know what right. you're going to get, you know? So, to have him be a last minute replacement for Craig Mitchell to go up against um, Warhorse here. And then to do stuff like pull out doors and chairs and go crazy, it makes sense. Because 
when it comes to wrestling, he can't beat Warhorse. He can't beat, you know, a lot of people when it comes to wrestling. But when it comes to being a fucking crazy motherfucker, he can definitely hold his own. And that was what you got in this match. And that's why I think that, like, yeah, a guy like, like Matthew Justice is underappreciated for what he brings. Because the crowd loves him. The crowd believes in him. He's like Tommy Dreamer, you know? But when you have Warhorse finish the match off by stomping his skull into a fucking chair, you understand why Warhorse wins. Because Warhorse is a badass wrestler who can go toe-to-toe with anyone. And that's why he's the champion. You know? And that's the whole point. So... I thought this this really worked for what the match was supposed to be. And I thought that both guys really helped to make their their characters, their brands bigger coming But up. no, I'm the same way. I think this was really like wild and fun and this is a great way to establish what War, what Warhorse is about and and everything of that nature. Like I'm always I'm always going to see more Matthew Justice, but with Warhorse, I I got to give him credit, man. Seeing him transition from Jake Parnell to Warhorse and how like, how his Twitter game has stepped up, and he's realizing like, in order to take that next leap and to be one of those guys, like you got to promote yourself, you got to promote yourself well. And I think he's putting himself out there and doing these headbanging videos in his garage that are endearing, a little funny. You could take that, you could take them seriously, take them how take them how you want to. And I think right here was like a good like feather in the cap, like okay, like this warhorse thing has potential to be like maybe the most fruitful IWD, IWTV title reign to date. Definitely, yeah. I mean, he is bringing it in a lot of ways. He's probably like the the best person that they could have gotten to put the title on right now for IWTV because he just he's the guy, man. When it comes to the promos, the the, the you know the personality, what he's doing on on social media plus what he's delivering it in ring it all makes sense uh so there was something called the yeet fest for yeah four way four way tag match uh before the match or before the show started me and you were talking about if you were a, a millennial or a zoomer and I, I i guess i don't know if we were we've decided but yeet feels like a very oh, zoomer t- totally i thought i thought yeet was done but like that was like that's yeah. like 2013 2014 vine but, right yeah but like <laughs> whatever yeah. but i mean it, it involved it, it so now seeing these older seeing these older punk level guys embracing yeet now it just i'm sorry to say it guys but righteous jesse you're posting cringe <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe. <laughs> that's that's not my new, that's my catch maybe i won't blame him for it but like i've definitely ba- blamed ifhy guys <laughs> Yeah, which they're, I mean, I don't know how old they are, but, like, they definitely come across, like, if they're Zoomers, they're, like, elder statesmen Zoomers. Mm. I think that, I think they're all young. Like, I think, like, Cole Radrick is, like, he, and he wasn't in this match, but I think he's, like, like with those guys. Yeah, yeah. He was in the, yeah, Cole was in the, uh, the Cole, Battle well, Cole is, like, 20, like, 21, something like that, so, may, may, right. maybe, but, yeah, like. It was just really weird. I don't know. I don't. Have, I don't have any strong thoughts on this. I only. I know. A, I know. Already knew of IFHY, and obviously I knew um, Bradley Prescott. Bradley Prescott and all that. But all the guys that had a lot of guys that hadn't that I hadn't seen before, and I don't know. No one really. No one really impressed me here. I don't know if I'm alone. If I'm alone in that. No, you're right. Nothing stood out. 
the smoking buddies i like their gimmick <laughs> just because i you know i like i'm a weed guy i or at least i used to be um the philly marino experience was okay but nothing that stood out i've uh ifhy i'm a big fan of in general but yeah i mean nothing nothing in this match even stood out which is interesting like the the biggest thing that stood out to me was uh with jonathan wolf doing the corner brain bruster but on the outside um just because of being a big fan of uh alex oh god why can't i remember his name now the guy who used to do the corner brain buster inside the ring um either way um the real life oh um life. alex alex daniels uh, alex daniels yeah it was like it was doing that uh, the corner brain buster, but he did it outside of the ring. That was the only thing that stood out from the entire match to me, really. Um, otherwise, yeah, there was not much here. <laughs> O'Shea O'Shea versus Manders, and when I know when this might have been the first match that got that got announced for the show, and I know everyone was like, "Oh hell yeah!" Like I'm in, I'm into I'm into this. So you can go yeah. you can go ahead and t- go ahead and take it away here on this one. Yeah, so we've talked a bunch about her, and it's really easy for me to say this because I'm like, you know, cis bro, you know, I'm like straight passing white cis bro, whatever. It's very easy for me, but all this, but like O'Shea Edwards feels like the biggest fucking star on the planet who like, I don't even think of him as like a person of color, you know, like I just, I think that O'Shea should be with his promo skill and his in-ring skill and everything he does, like, I don't understand what could be holding him back other than the idea that I guess maybe people don't just, like, like, you know, have the same opinions that they have about black people as they do about anyone else. But, like, how the fuck do you not love O'Shea? Like, everything he does is so good. He presents himself as a star. He works like a star. He's incredible. The shit that he can do is amazing. Manders is in the same conversation. I love watching Manders. The only negative I had from this match was that Manders' gear was weird where, like, his right butt cheek like, his tights kept, like, tucking up into his butt and I was like, it was just awkward because the left, the the part about it that was extra awkward is that the left butt cheek (laughs) did not have the same tuck issue. So it was only the right butt cheek that was having a weird gear tuck issue while the left butt cheek was just being normal. Honestly, the left butt cheek was a little bit longer than most tights. So it was a little bit weird to watch because it was not like, you know, the Zack Zack Ryder thing where you have like the one pant leg and the one no pant leg thing where you can like definitely see the asymmetric. There was nothing on his tights that made it like clear why it would be asymmetric. But it was, like, noticeably asymmetric. That was the only thing about this match that was, like, awkward. Everything else kicked ass. They beat the fuck out of each other. Um, The fight was amazing. Both these guys, like I said, are huge stars. And they both really get it when it comes to, like, presenting themselves as stars. Um, Yeah, I I, I don't know. Like, I'll let you get into this a little bit. Because that's all I have to say is I love these guys. They beat the fuck out of each other everything looked legit and it was just a big time badass fight. no this is exactly it's exactly what you wanted and expected from 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 these guys right here and honestly i'm maybe it's just me 
and like maybe like getting too swept up in the in the Manders hype. But I was a little surprised when o- when O'Shea won that match, and I guess now you do that, and you had um AC win the title in the main event and all that, and you can transition that in the AC versus O'Shea for the title. But I was a little surprised to see O'Shea beat Manders here, and I, th- I was expecting to see Manders maybe get a big win over one of the over one of the more prominent guys in the promotion. But yeah, like this is exactly what you wanted, like two. Big, strong guys with a lot of personality going out there and just hitting each other hard. And sometimes that match style doesn't really work for me because I think a lot of the time those guys don't have any personality to make something like that worth watching. But these guys have tons of charisma, tons of personality, tons of endearing qualities about them. And I thought this was exactly what I wanted it to be. Nothing amazing, but like I I had a blast watching it. Yeah, and when you mention that, like, enduring personality, that's the thing about these guys that works. Like, I really like Manders for for what he is, you know, and I really like Manders on social media, and I like, you know, talking to him and interacting with him, but I get his thing. He's he's a badass, and O'Shea is the same thing. It's like, I really enjoy the interactions with O'Shea that I've had. I've really liked, you know, everything I've seen from him. I think he's a really good promo that gets overlooked, like, O'Shea is in this conversation for me for top promo people of the year. And so then them having him mix it up against each other were like the matches. None of that matters. Like that's all out the window because these guys are just fucking fighting. They're locking it up like, like two big badass bulls. But what makes it even better is just that. That like I'm invested in both of them as people. So even though none of that personality or, or any of that really comes into the match... It does affect the way that I perceive the match. Yeah, yeah, totally. And Manders, I thought, just had a really good run this last this um, this, this last few weeks for himself. Going it, going here, having that O'Shea Edwards match, then going then going and having that Tony Deppin match from Uncharted a few days ago. I think Manders Manders is really proving that the hype, the hype is real with him. The hype is real. I'm not. No one's ever saying claiming that he's some super rookie or anything, but. As far as when people were coming out of SCI and saying, you know, Manders is the guy, Manders is the guy, and you know, people did that with Marco. People did what did that with Marco last year, and I was never bought in on, and I, I never bought in on Marco and all and all that. I can fully say that I believe every bit of hype with Manders, and that if you have that hang up, hang up about him, like, don't worry, like Manders is worth every single bit of hype that people are giving him. Definitely, and you know. Logan is the truth. Whatever. Logan was fun. Um, but then we get into the main event. Logan, okay, we didn't even talk about it, but Logan calling out uh, Dominic Graney for a hardcore shoot fight is, that had me fully erect. I don't know that's, if you That's my number one dream match right now, man. Like I, t- I, t- I told you before, like, yeah. I love Logan, and I think Dominic in, uh, in Sup is something special. Like, I think... Sup gets him more than any other promotion in the world gets get, gets yes. Dom. So I, I'm really, really fucking into that. Yes. So then we get into the main event here with Brett Eisen, Dirty Burt, Dirty Burt Eisen versus AC Mag. And should I let you? Do you want to talk about it? Should yeah, I just? You know, you can go ahead and start with it. Think? Okay. This was exactly what i would want and i could definitely see having an issue with it because brett just 
kills Mac for the most part. Mac gets some token spots here and there. He does stuff like, you know, pulls out a fucking chair to hit the Mac Ten on the chair, like for the for the finit, like or for a, a really nice near fall. But like for the most part, Brett just beats the fuck out of, of AC Mac for most of the match. Which makes sense. Because the way these guys are presented, Brett Eisen is a fucking beast. You know, he's just he's a monster. The biggest bummer I have is being just an old school SoCal big time fan of B-Boy is watching Brett Eisen try to do the face eraser and it just looked <laughs> so bad. And having commentary even put it over, like talking about that Brett Eisen like is, you know, such a big fan of B-Boy, I understand why. You know, like again, being a SoCal 100% boy, I understand why you look up to B-Boy. You know, like, I've spent years, decades. Dylan, I know you're listening. You know that I've spent a long time telling you that B-Boy should be a guy that's presented as a, you know, an all-time, you know, legend. And to see Brett Eisen try to do the face eraser and it just looks so awkward was just like, whatever. You know, that it is what it is. B-Boy is a, a once-in-a-lifetime talent kind of guy who's, like, really smooth in all the way that ways that he is but this match I mean I don't know if I would have this match as like a in my conversation for best matches of the year probably not but did I really enjoy everything about it do we do you know when you talk about like getting getting satisfaction from a match I definitely got satisfaction from this match like as someone who is a big time fan of AC Mack, like to see him get what he deserves. Now he's got Alice and Bonnie, you know, on his left and right shoulder. Um, and we talked about it earlier, but like building that, that character, building that like expectation of, of someone who should be in that conversation. Of course, I wouldn't even call this in my like probably top five Brett Eisen matches of the year. It's definitely not in my top five AC Mack matches of the year. But for the character work, for the presentation, for what you're getting, you know what I mean? When it comes to like making stars, making, you know, kind of delivery of everything, it's it's in the conversation, but it's not execute. I wouldn't even say execution because everything was pretty smooth and they both really delivered what they were supposed to was done really well so i don't know i'm like i'm like i feel like i'm trying to talk myself out of loving this match while i really enjoyed it but uh it was quick it had a lot of really cool like kind of back and forth teasing stuff it was done super well and i think especially like ac mac really knows where to place his they're not hope spots because he's at the heel you know but like i guess where to place his like anti-hope spots as an underdog heel, it's really impressive because there's not a lot of people who are really good at as working as underdog right. heels, you know. And AC Mack is is probably one of the best that I've ever seen at doing an underdog heel spot. With with this match, like I said, like you said, it's not gonna be something that pops up in like match of the year list or whatever. But it's a really good piece. It's a really good piece of booking, or it's a really good like 
taking the taking these pieces and putting them together in a meaningful way. Brett Eisen being undefeated in the two like two year and some change existence of SUP. AC Mack has not had a clean win in SUP at all. He's attacked people but he's attacked people for the bell, all this kinds of stuff. He has not had a clean like clean, clear cut win in SUP, a detestable character. So when he goes out there and Brett Eisen eats him alive, it makes sense because he hasn't done shit in SUP. I think that's why I like it so much, is that in in action you can't deny AC Mack. In action, he's going out there having like these really good, these really good matches with with uh, some chicanery involved in the finishes, but these are still really strong matches that are have that have some in ring merit to them. AC Mack, while like I love like the Logan stunt match, it starts off with a wild ass chair shot to the head, and Logan having to work from underneath the entire time off of that, and AC attacking Mister Brickster and all, and all that kinds of stuff. He has not proven himself one bit. In regards and sub, so that's why Brett Eisen's able to just dominate him, and it feels believable, and you get it because Brett has been this unstoppable monster, and here goes and here goes AC Mack talking, talking everyone, talking everybody's head off, attacking people, doing all this stuff, and Brett just beats the shit out of him, and here we, and AC goes back to what has worked for him the entire time in him in his uh in his running sub. Is that he has to do with these underhanded tricks in order to get an upper hand here, and it's not it's it's not a great match at all to me. But I really enjoy the way it was laid out. I like the story here; it's very clear. And I think if you were gonna have Brett Eisen lose, you know, you could argue that you should have gave like O'Shea the rub, have someone that is gonna be like a big future star potentially in the scene. Get that, get that rub off of Brett Eisen, who's been undefeated, and who's been undefeated in the promotion and all that and all that stuff. But I kind of like the idea of a shitty heel being the one that ends everything. You know, when Moose had the undefeated streak going in ROH and Cedric Alexander beats him, but he does it by using the wrench and all the, and all that stuff. I kind of like the idea of an underhanded, shitty way being you being the way you end this streak, and now. This person gets all this heat because oh wow you ruined you ruined this thing that was going on. No, definitely, and that's I mean, did you watch the the post win promo yeah. with uh, J Rose? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is probably the best. I mean, honestly, for me, it's like the promo of the year. I just I really loved. Say it again. Say it again. <laughs> And I was just like, AC Mack is so fucking amazing. Like, work-wise, he can deliver in-ring. And we've seen it. When he's just trying to have good matches, he can do great matches. Like, that's not a question for him. But when it comes to character work, and it comes to, like, giving you the deeper substance, like, I don't think there's anyone who comes close. Like, a lot of people really like Chris Jericho right now, and I get why you like Chris Jericho a bunch because it's really fun. But AC Mack, I think, blows Chris Jericho out of the water when it comes to character work and like really being that person on a promo. Like Jericho does a great job with the really big crowds, but the stuff with like the the We the People thing, which everyone loved, they were like, "Oh, he called him out and he told him you don't say We the People because it's WWE." But that was like kind of baby face, yeah. you know. Like he kind of baby faced himself on that. 
AC Mack, it doesn't matter what the situation is, AC Mack is always the heel. There's no question about the heel. And I love it because I get it. Like, in a lot of ways, because I know, like, kind of the thing about his personal life. And it's probably been pretty tough to ever think of yourself as the babyface when you're, you know, when you're AC Mack. And you're as marginalized as you are as a person. To ever think of yourself as, like, the top guy. Of course not. You're always the bad guy. You're always the person that everyone is looking down on. And he does such a good job of harnessing all of that and turning it into something that's that's really fun to watch. And it's especially fun to watch here in this match. And it's especially fun to watch on IWTV when he's cutting promos. And he's got Alice and he's got Bonnie and he is the man. I I've I've loved AC Mack for a long time. I, you know, when a lot of people were, you know, talking about Freddie A. High matches being the best, I was like, AC Mack is actually the best match on the show. You know, and I, I will continue to defend that because I think that AC Mack delivers something deeper than just, like, doing hitting spots and grabbing holds. He he really brings it. And I would I would love to have a longer you know Dan Makabe versus AC Mack match and it's it's one of the few times where I want to see Dan Makabe be right. babyface you know like I rarely do I want Dan Makabe to work babyface match but against AC Mack I I enjoy them working against each other with uh with with Dan being the babyface all right I think I think that's all I think that's all for us this week that's it all right go ahead Follow the podcast account, QNTR on Twitter, QNTR at gmail.com if you want to send any email, any emails or any emails or questions. We'll be back next time to talk, I guess, King of Pro Wrestling. Maybe a little maybe a little bit of maybe a little bit of Dragon Gate and WXW since we weren't able to get to those things today. But other stuff that both of us just like and haven't gotten the haven't gotten the time to, so look out for that. Look out for that the next time. Good people got something